This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. And welcome back to the best wrestling podcast on earth, the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am here with Captain Creech, secretly sassy. I probably should have said Captain Creech second because now it's awkward to say Rich Creech. And I, of course, am Joe Lanza. But Rich, before we get started today, I have to know. Otherwise, this podcast has to end immediately. <laughs> do you know who Gino Hernandez is? I do. I do. Um, oh, well, then, okay. Well, then in that case, you are allowed, my friend, thank God. to analyze, break down, and discuss pro oh, wrestling. Uh, would, would, it, would it annoy you if I said I just watched the doc so that I could learn uh, so that you wouldn't shame me right now? I probably shouldn't have said that live on air. God damn it. All right. Well, here we are. No, that was that. What a weird controversy that was. I um, and, and I'll readily admit too. Like you know, I'm I'm I forget how old uh our good friend TMZ guy is Ryan Satin. If you, but by the way, for people that want to kind of get up to speed on on this whole thing, is that uh, Ryan Satin saw the uh, uh the the Dark Side of the Ring episode this week, which is on Viceland uh, about uh, Gorgeous Gino Hernandez and his death and the mystery around his death, and just said like, ah, interesting story. I've never heard of it before. Uh, and then he got a lot of people being like, well, then you can't report on wrestling or you can't talk about wrestling if you don't know the story of Gino Hernandez and like. You know, I, I I know who Gino Hernandez is. I'm aware of the tag team with Chris Adams. Like, I've watched some of the world-class stuff. But I didn't really know a lot of the ins and outs of his death. So, I actually, when I when I watched that episode, and, and, and we haven't talked about that show, and maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about it a little bit. Most of the time when I watch that show, I'm learning absolutely nothing. And I've sort of told people when they've asked me, hey, should I watch this Dark Side of the Ring? And I'm like, yeah, you know, depending on what kind of wrestling fan they are. I tell them, yeah, you, you can, or like, ah, you can put it on as background noise, but you're probably not going to learn anything new. Like you watch, like the Montreal Screwjob episode, I'm confident that every single person listening to this show um, is probably not going to learn much from that episode whatsoever. I mean, it's basically the paint by number stuff. Even the Brody episode was like, yeah, if you've read a Dave Meltzer, you know, Wrestling Observer from the time or any of his Brody issues, you probably know you know, enough about that. But this is the one episode that I watched. And when it was over, I just went, you know, there was some stuff in here that I never knew, or I learned a lot about this guy that I really, you know, I knew that he had died. I know who he was, but I didn't know a ton about the kind of ins and outs of the stories. So I guess I am also a fake fan is what I'm saying. So let me ask you this. That's interesting. I listened to everything you said there. Um, watching the other ones, the other, um, what, what is this, Viceland TV? Uh, Viceland, yeah, Viceland TV, which is obviously the operative, uh, the TV operative of, of Vice.com or whatever. But yeah, Viceland, it's usually just like every other show is pretty much just like people getting high and doing stuff, uh, including the, uh, have you seen, Joe? I know you're, you're kind of sort of cooking shows. I forget what it's called, but there's a, sh- a cooking show where you have to cook stuff with marijuana and uh, three judges get really high and then eat it and then decide if it's good or not. Have not seen that. <laughs> well, um, add it to the DVR there, pal. I, I could tell you that I did not know what Viceland TV was, did not know it existed. I have direct TV with every channel they offer. I watch a ton of TV, as you know. 
I have a million over-the-top streaming services. I had no clue I even had Viceland TV. I thought these documentaries were just a giant rib that didn't really exist on a network that didn't exist, and I haven't seen any of them. Um, I come to find out I've had the channel all along. Maybe eventually I'll watch these things. But as someone who has seen them all and mentioning that with some of the others where you were more familiar with the history of, uh, of, the, of the subject that they were talking about, watching the others where you were familiar with the ins and outs of the stories, did that make you confident that you really did learn something watching the Gino Hernandez doc because of the job they did on the previous documentaries where you were familiar with the subject matter? Yeah, no, and absolutely, because like the, the other episodes that I've seen off the top of my head, I think this is all of them, though, is the obviously the Montreal Screwjob one. Um, there is one about the Von Erichs, which I, I definitely recommend the Von Erichs one, just because it's like, it's just like heart-wrenching TV. Like, even if you know the whole story of the Von Erichs and however all of them died or whatever, they interview Kevin, obviously, and it's just Kevin having to sit there and like relive and document all of his brothers dying around him. And it's just like, oh, God, like, like that's one to definitely, if, if you get a chance to... Uh, to check out because no matter if you're a wrestling fan or not, like I think you're going to feel emotional from that uh, no matter what. So so that's the one that I think they did a pretty good job of telling the story, but I knew most of it. The Montreal Screwjob one, that one I, I think I dis I, I think I disliked the most of all the episodes that I've seen because it felt very surface level. And that's sort of when people recommended, hey, what about this Montreal Screwjob episode? I kind of said, yeah, I mean, if you know anything about wrestling, if you've seen Wrestling with Shadows, if you know any you're not going to learn anything from this. So that one I didn't really love. I, I kind of recommend, I, I said that one is like one that you would tell your mom to watch because it's like interesting, but it wasn't interesting to me because I already know all the details and all the ins and outs or whatever. But I think they did a, a, an okay job of telling the story. I just know the whole story. And I'm kind of sick of the Montreal Screwjob story for, for, for lack of a better term a, as well. Um, and then the uh, the Bruiser Brody episode, which I, I'm trying to remember if that one aired or if there was like a special airing that I, because that one I saw before the whole documentary even started. They like sort of teased and, and sent that one out. I know uh, like last year at StarCast, I think they did an airing of it or whatnot so uh that one i saw and that one again is, is pretty good but if you've read any of the dave Meltzer uh sort of recaps of the murder and, and all that sort of stuff you know kind of the ins and outs of that so they have done a good enough job with those i just the the, the other topics i think i just maybe knew too much about and then didn't really find that much enjoyment in there. Whereas this one, I'm like, okay, I know the I know the basic story of Gina Hernandez. And then they go real deep into it. They talk to you know guys that were in jail that were selling drugs with him. They talk to his mom. They talk to his his wife, his his daughter, like a bunch of stuff that I'm like, oh man, they did a really really good job with this. And yeah, maybe it's because I don't know the story off the top of my head. And I don't know a bunch of the details that I enjoyed it more. But I think they did a really good job. And 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 ultimately, like I've been down on that sh on that show because I don't think it really appeals to like us. But that's the one episode where I was like, all right, cool. Like this may be, you know, this story, the, the, this, this series is pretty cool. Maybe there are people that are less nerds than us that, that, that will watch that and really get a lot out of it. So I'm kind of curious what the listeners think about that show as well. If, they, if they're finding kind of the similar um, sort of if they're feeling similar to, to how I feel when I watch it, where I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm not learning anything new here. And it's just kind of, you know, but they do a good job. I, I will admit that they do a good job. The production's pretty solid. They do good interviews. They do good work. It's just every topic's been, you know, nothing that I didn't already know, whereas this one, it, it really did feel different and unique. So because you felt like they did a decent job with the facts and the history on the others. Right, right. You feel like you got a, a you're confident that you got a good representation of this story that you weren't familiar with. That, yeah, that, absolutely. Because they, they go to the primary people, which I think is important about this documentary more so than a lot of others is that like, yeah, it's all about like really wrestling deaths and whatnot. And, and for like, I, I've not seen the original, the Macho Man Elizabeth one. I heard that one was kind of, eh. so I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm even going to go back to that one, but uh, the Brody one, they talked to, you know, 
as many people as you think that would be involved in that. Like I said, with this Gino one, they talked to his mother, they talked to his family. They, they, as I said, they tracked down like drug dealers that like sold drugs to him or like, you know, did so. so and that's, and then you also get like, you know, your Dave Mannings of the world and your other guys that are kind of getting interviewed. And then obviously the, the Von Eric one, you talk to Kevin, like you just basically have Kevin talk about his entire life and his family. And, and, and that part I think really does, add a little bit of credence because it's like you're talking to the primary people you're not just talking to like outside people and sort of saying hey you know what's what's this and that's where the montreal one is is maybe my least favorite because it was like you're talking to earl habner and bruce pritchard and scott hall and all these kind of guys and everyone's got their own little like eh, yeah you know what i mean like that's the one that where i felt like everyone's kind of working and everyone's still kind of doing their bullshit whereas the these other two the brody uh gino and then the von eric ones were like there's no need for these people to bullshit they're just giving you the stories and and those are the three that i really did enjoy and and, and now i think i kind of thumbs up on the series where, you know, there was a while there where I was kind of thumbs in the middle or thumbs down. All right. So as far as TMZ man goes, I think people are being way too hard on him. I think we discussed something similar when Ryan Satin went to a PWG show and admitted that he did not know who Puma King was. Puma King came out. It was Puma King, right? That was oh, the correct. Wrestler. Yeah, Puma King was the, the, the wrestler in question, the, the Puma King yeah. gate of, of last summer. So. so Puma King comes out, and Ryan Satin's at the PWG show, and he's saying it's his first time seeing this wacky character and how he was enjoying himself watching Puma King. Everybody got on Ryan Satin's case, and we defended him then as well. Um, you know, Puma King is not exactly, you know, uh, El Santo, okay? It's, it's, it, this is not a legendary Lucha character. Uh, I got to cut the guy a break. I'm sure there were other people in that building who didn't know who, who uh, Puma King was. But the idea being that he needs to know who all of these wrestlers are on Earth because he has himself a little website is absurd. So we defended him there. I didn't think it was a big deal. Um, you know, if it would have been another wrestler, you give me another example. If he didn't know who uh, some Hall of Fame caliber wrestler was, okay, maybe you can get on him. Yeah, if he doesn't know who L.A. Park is, or like you said, El Santo. Hey, what's the deal with this El Santo guy or whatever? Yeah, that that's a little bit, you know, of a different yeah. level here, but it's freaking cool. Well, I mean, come on. If, 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 if El Santo shows up at the Globe Theater... Then it's a story. It's a story for sure. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, it's Puma King. I mean, let's relax. You know, it, it's, it, you know, but this, I think, is the same thing. I think what we have here is people forget what Ryan Satin does for a living okay he doesn't purport himself as a historian he he doesn't claim to be a historian he isn't a historian uh the other day he put up a story about you know the mayor of knox county kane getting put in a dunk tank by children i mean this is the kind of stuff you know he's he just he's he's not you know he doesn't try to do what dave Meltzer does he doesn't try to do what um historians do he has a website where he reports modern wrestling news. I don't think it's not knowing the internal mechanisms or the, the, the deep history of Gino Hernandez is something that has anything to do with his job. Um, and wrestling history is so large and vast and, 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 and extensive. That and regional. I do want to mention regional as well. I think people kind of forget that as well. If you grew up in the South or you grew up in Texas, yeah, you probably know who Gino Hernandez is. I don't feel like I, that name until I really became hardcore into wrestling. I never 
you know, if I ask my dad who, who, who watched wrestling as a kid and knows, you know, Dick the Bruiser and, and Baron Von Rat, like he knows those guys, Bobby Heenan, those, the guys that were AWA guys, the guys that he'll know all those guys. He knows a gorgeous George. He knows obviously your big names, your Hulk Hogan's Randy Savages or whatever. But if I told him, Hey, Gino Hernandez, like he's not gonna have any fucking clue. Gino Hernandez, he wasn't one world class, you know, in 1986, he, you know, and, and that's like, I think we kind of forget that as well, but sorry, go, go back to your point. Yeah. I just don't think someone who does what Ryan Satin does, I don't, and he knew who Gino Hernandez was. He just didn't. He just said he didn't know the story of Gino Hernandez. Right, and that's where I'm exactly at. I mean, I'm right there. So I guess I am an equal fake fan. But, but like, I mean, I, I don't know. There wasn't. I, I'm aware of it. I, I like learning about it. I, I was happy to learn about it. And I'm interested in watching more of it. But yeah, it's not a guy that really comes up all that often. We're not talking about like a an all time pressing legend. That's like you know, an, you know, yeah, he, he, good little career. I mean, obviously, great career, great character, and all that sort of stuff. But it's not like this guy that like, oh my god, you know, turn in your fan card if you don't know every detail about Gino Hernandez's death. Like that's, that's nuts. Yeah. If, if you're Ryan Satin, to be quite honest, I don't expect him to know that. Um, and, and I don't think, again, I think we lose sight of what he does. Um, and look, we've, we've had issues with Ryan Satin. I don't think there's any heat there or anything. No, like that. no I think he's fine. But we're friendly with him, but we, we've had our variety. That's where the TMZ man thing came from and all that. But we, you know, it's like, you know, we're pretty, De- decent relationship would I think we're pretty neutral on the guy it's not like I'm sticking up for someone who I hang out with I mean it's just I don't I don't think I think it was so overblown I think what it comes down to is you know a lot of people already had issues with the guy and it was a chance to pile on him a little bit but um I, I don't you know I don't see him I, I, I don't see it as well he didn't know the, the story and the history of Gino Hernandez so well, forget it. I'm yeah, never delete the I'm never, tru- I'm never <laughs> trusting his news again. It's it's not what he does. Right, right. And I think one of the one of the things that was a little interesting, and I saw I, you know, I was as I was kind of I thankfully I didn't get involved in this argument, which that would have just been awful. But I think one of the things that's interesting is that for all the you know the piling on that that, that Dave Meltzer gets and and even to you know a lesser extent, your guys like your Bruce Mitchells and your Wade Kellers and you know your dirt sheets and yada yada yada, all that bullshit, is that those guys, you know, and this is rare in any sort of kind of quote sports coverage, those guys know as much about what's going on currently as they know about the past. And that is very, very rare. Like I follow, of course, you know, I do the over and back classic NBA podcast at over and back NBA on Twitter, by the way. And, you know, there are, I, I, we, we, on a weekly basis, we'll talk to current day NBA reporters that don't know shit about the seventies or the sixties or the fifties or, or hell, even some of them barely know the eighties. A lot of them know, Michael Jordan on or Magic Johnson on, you know, you know what I mean? And and like mm-hmm. nobody's getting on those guys like, oh, Jesus, you don't know who, you know, you don't know George Mikan, you know, and uh, his Chicago Packers stats like no, nobody cares. Like and that's not a, like it's not a thing in other sports, but it's it, it's interesting that the most prominent pro wrestling journalists are also people that are very well versed in the history of pro wrestling. And we sort of take for granted that then every pro wrestling journalist that you're Sean Ross Saps and you're, you're Ryan Satins and your David Bixon fans and all those guys need to know every single thing about history. And like Bix happens to be one that does know a lot about that. But like, you know, Sean Ross Sapp and, and Ryan Satin and a bunch of other writers all across that, that, that run big websites, they don't know the ins and outs of every single aspect of, of pro wrestling history. I think you and I do a pretty good job of it because we're both pretty interested in it. But I think, you know, we only probably scratch the surface of, 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 you know, the history of wrestling. And But that doesn't make us any less of an authority on what's going on currently because we don't know, you know, what happened in, you know, Mid-South in 1982. But, like, you know, we know a little. So it's one of those things. It's like I think we kind of – a lot, I think, wrestling fans take for granted how different it is in other sports and that we're kind of lucky that our biggest voices in pressing journalism or some of our oldest voices in pressing journalism have such a deep-seated, you know, part of, of history. They know a lot about history, and that's just not the case in a lot of other sports reporting. There aren't a lot of Dave Meltzer's in other 
areas of interest. I mean, he, there are some people who refer to Dave Meltzer as knowing more about one singular topic than anybody else on earth knows right, about absolutely. any other singular yeah. topic. And I don't even know if that's true, but people say that, but that just goes to show how, how deep that goes. And there may not be a person who covers hockey for say, for instance, who, who knows hockey and hockey history as in depth as Dave Meltzer understands pro wrestling history. Now there might be for all I know, but there might not see, that's my point here. The other thing is it's, Okay, and it's actually advisable at times to say I don't know. There's, <laughs> no, there's nothing. No. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. We do it here all the time. We've said for years uh, on the on the on uh, you know with our website, we've tried to find people who know the topics inside and out to write about those topics instead of me and you. Right? We don't write anything anymore. But in the old days, no, when speak we for yourself. Sat- I just wrote a Chris Jericho article this weekend, bastard. Back in the days when we were writing everything, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. we said, look, it, look, okay, Rich and I know uh, some things about Dragon. We're big Dragon Gate fans, for instance, and we know enough about it. But if we could find people who know more, why not let them do it? They're going to do a better job than us. You know what I mean? We don't know anything about Joshi, or and we know almost next to nothing about Lucha, so we let other people handle that on our site. Um, you know, on, on this show, how many times, Rich, have I said to you where an, an, an Attitude Era topic comes up, and I say, Rich, I don't know. you got to tell me. You know, it's okay sometimes to say I don't know. You, Rich, I mean, you, you know, you've been doing this show seven years now, and you've done a good job going back, and, but it's like, you know, you you readily admit you got into the game a little late with with some Japanese wrestling. So you went back and spent hours and hours watching old Noah and old All Japan to catch up. It's okay to say I don't know, especially in wrestling where the history is so vast and deep and nobody can know everything. Dave Meltzer, who we just put over as knowing more than anyone, doesn't even vote for his own Hall of Fame in certain regions because he doesn't feel comfortable because he doesn't know enough. Okay. So, you know, and Dave's one of the people getting on Ryan Satin, and I think that's totally unfair, you know, because even Dave admits that he doesn't know everything. So it's totally acceptable to say, I don't know. Pro wrestling is a lot like music. I don't care how big of a music fan or a big of a music historian you are. You have not heard it all and you will never hear it all. I don't care. You can't, you just can't. There's just too much. There's too much. And I think sometimes, People are afraid to say, I don't know, and I think that's a problem. I think everyone, everyone involved in this has some blind spots, and you really shouldn't be ashamed of them, um, you know, within reason, okay? Um, you know, there's some things I think, you know, that maybe you should know, but I don't think this Gino Hernandez thing uh, is one of them. I think it's perfectly okay to not be intimately familiar with all the details of that story and do what Ryan Satin does for a living. Uh, way too much made of that. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was kind of wild. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested if you do get a chance to uh, uh, watch those. Maybe maybe that's a possible thing you can add to one of your TV reviews as they're going. I think there's uh, there's only a, I'm to say one more episode, a fabulous Moolah episode still left. But yeah, there's Savage, there's the Montreal Screwjob, uh, Brody, Von Eric's Gino, and then I think Fabulous Mula, and I think that might be it. I know that they're they're going to do a season two. I believe I saw that, but yeah, that's as far as for season one. But uh, I could safely say skip the Montreal Screwjob one. Uh, I haven't seen the Randy uh, Elizabeth one, but I've heard that's kind of meh. But the other three, the Brody, uh, the Elizabeth, uh, the, the the Brody, the Gino, and, and the Von Eric's one, I could definitely definitely recommend uh, anybody check out, even if you know a lot about those topics. I think you'll find some some good stuff out of them. All right, so let's uh, let's move on 
to a, another topic that's not on the run sheet that we put on the Patreon page every week, and, uh, <laughs> and then we talk about a, and then we talk about a bunch of shit that we that we that we didn't warn people that we were or, or let people know that we were going to talk about. Uh, this actually was news that just broke as we were preparing to do the show um, to let us off the hook there a little bit. But uh, Tom McGee, Rich, the Tom McGee Bret Hart match. And uh, I see you've uh, misspelled Tom McGee on this run sheet. Rich, you're such an amateur. Who oh, my nothing. God. I, God. I cannot do radio with you anymore <laughs> uh, as he fixes it on the run sheet. As there, well, what do you mean? No, I was right the whole time. Joe. <laughs> so the, uh, the Tom McGee-Bret Hart match, which was discovered, I guess, maybe about a month back or so um, by someone who had handled uh, Bret Hart's uh, Mary Kate Anthony is her name. And she was handling a lot of uh, Bret Hart's archival stuff that he had received from, uh, from the WWE. And she was organizing it and moving it, I guess, transferring it to DVD or whatever the case may be. She had all these tapes and she was rummaging through her tapes about a month or so back. And she discovered that she had the Holy Grail match of Tom McGee, Bret Hart, uh, a brief history of the Tom McGee, Bret Hart match. This was the match. Uh, Dave Meltzer claims he has a copy in his shed somewhere, but never really bothered to go looking for it. He probably can't um, find it, even if he knows he has it. I mean, we've seen the pictures of his like office. That that shed's probably uh... rich. There's pictures of the shed. Have you seen them? I don't. Oh, you're right. Isn't it just a bunch of totes? It's just a bunch of totes with like a bunch of totes with right? just with thousands of VHS. <laughs> it has no organization either. You would have to literally sit down there and just open every tote and open every single tape, and probably maybe have to put every single tape into a VCR and watch the, the entire tape to find out if it's there. So yeah, that's probably not going to happen from Dave. So well, this was a man who for probably two decades was watching watching everything on VHS and was probably getting five tapes a day in his mailbox. And now they're all sitting in his shed. But uh, anyway, it was a match that Dave Meltzer and, and maybe a few other dozen people had claimed to even have laid eyes on uh, this. Mary Kate Anthony found a copy of it, um, you know, proved that she had the copy of it. Uh, a few select wrestling insiders uh, saw it about a week ago. I guess it, uh, it made the rounds with a few people that she could trust. And uh, the Hart McGee match itself was a match that took place. What was it? 1986, October 7th, 1986. Um, it was a match where Tom McGee, who was a very physically impressive looking wrestler who can do things that were decades ahead of his time. He was doing, you know, backflips and, and uh, wild spots, which probably don't look super impressive today. Uh, but in 1986, uh, you know, knocked people's socks off. The problem was he wasn't very coordinated. He didn't have uh, good instincts for pro wrestling. And there are other Tom McGee matches out there, uh, including in places other than WWE. He wrestled in Japan a little bit. Uh, there's some comical gifs out there that I'm sure people have seen. But there's other Tom McGee matches out there. The guy just wasn't very good. He looked like a million bucks. He can do physically impressive things. The guy stunk. And uh, as legend had it, Bret Hart went in there with Tom McGee and uh, carried him to a match which hid all of his flaws and impressed the WWF brass at the time so much that Vince McMahon dubbed him the next uh, top star of his company and the man that would eventually replace Hulk Hogan. Now remember, this is 1986 at the height of Hulkamania, and uh, they were already earmarking Tom McGee as their next big star, uh, largely based on this match where Bret Hart carried him to such an extent uh, that it hid all of his flaws, which were later exposed. Now, 
there's some other McGee matches that a lot of people have seen. Rich, have you seen the Arn Anderson match? Uh, I have. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. seen bits and pieces of that. And, and and McGee is like a guy that, like you said, like he comes out and you're like, oh yeah, that that Vince is like Vince is gonna love this guy. And then he does like a backflip and you're like, all right, here we go. But then like he fucks up an arm drag and you're like, oh yeah, all right. He's like not very good at all. So he just did not have the instincts. A guy that was definitely probably too soon for him like he needed a lot more seasoning before he was ready to go and and uh yeah it, it ultimately led in a ton of disappointment but yeah i have seen that on an innocent match and i thought i saw one other one but i'm, I'm blanking on who it is but uh, yeah he's a, he's a physically impressive guy it's just like yeah you can tell that you know the wheels are turning and and, and the pressing instincts are definitely not there for him the one you saw was probably dibiase was probably the other one those that, the that was probably that sounds about right yeah that are floating around and um they're not bad little matches either obviously neither one of us have seen the heart match um, but, but those aren't bad little matches, but you can see why, you know, you could see McGee's flaws. He just didn't have the instincts. He wasn't super for a guy who could do backflips and stuff. He just wasn't like real nimble on his feet. Isn't that weird? Like, do you yeah, it's like he could, he could rehearse like a backflip, but then he couldn't like run. It was run very bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. right. I had to take a drink of water. Sorry. I know it's very unprofessional. No, 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 no problem. No, it's, yeah, it is strange because you see him do these things and it's like, it feels like it's kind of a routine for him to do some of this stuff, but then anything that gets him out of like, all right, I do this and now I do this. Anytime he has to kind of think on his feet, you see it fall apart immediately. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, that's the history of the match. Hart uh, covered up all of his flaws and had people convinced in the company that this guy was going to be uh, the next thing. And they, and listen, they gave him, years uh to come around i mean i think he wrestled his last wwe match in the early 90s okay and this heart match was in 86 so just think about that they gave this guy like half a decade to figure it out and he never did and uh that was it for for tom mcgee but but this has been probably the most sought after holy grail match in all of wrestling for many years and uh mary kate anthony turned up with it Starcast had hinted that they were going to air, that they were going to do a screening of the match. There was a tweet put up a couple weeks ago. It was quickly taken down. I know that tweet was out there though because I saw it. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, it was out there that we will be I, streaming and discussing the Tom McGee Bret Hart. Yes, match and, yeah. So they booked McGee and Hart to then talk about the match at Starcast. Uh, they quickly erased any references that they were going to screen the match. Um, but WWE got their hands on it. And this Monday after Raw, they are airing the match in full, plus a documentary, a short documentary on the match, which I don't know anything else about it. Again, this is all breaking news. So uh, everyone will have an opportunity to see the Tom McGee-Bret Hart match on WWE Network uh, before StarCast. I assume StarCast is going forward with their little McGee Hart. They're going to do, um, they're going to discuss the match, but I, yeah, the, yeah, stream it, I don't know. Well, maybe at this point you can kind of, I, I don't I, know, because now it's commercial, now, I don't know, maybe it's, I, I wouldn't well, you know, streaming it, but. At this point, can't they just run it off the network? Would that be legal? Maybe, I don't know I, if there's some weird sort of commercial thing for making people buy tickets to watch something stream you know what i mean like that that's true that's true yeah, yeah. if and they're, they're they're they've been pretty close to the fire a lot this last, these last few months so they might just want to back off on that just in case so okay so here's the thing people seem to be mad that wwe is doing this and rich i haven't heard your take on this i'm sure you've seen mine because i tweeted something out uh before we started recording i have no idea why people are mad at this uh this is wwe's footage um you know, this gives everyone an opportunity to see it instead of just Mary Kate Anthony and her close personal friends who she sent the match around to. Or people that buy the StarCast. Or ticket. people who buy a StarCast ticket. Right. 
Okay, I have a hard time feeling bad for StarCast in this scenario because it's not their footage. It's WWE's footage. Um, they presumably paid her for this and uh, to get their footage back. And they're going to allow everyone to see it. And we might even get a cool little documentary to go along with it. And if you're interested in seeing Tom McGee and Bret Hart talk about it, you can still buy a ticket and do that at StarCast. So, Rich... What the fuck is the problem here? Why are people mad? Of all the reasons to be mad at this company, <laughs> why are you mad at this? This is a good thing. They're 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 allowing all of us to finally see this match. Right. Stand on this. I'm right with you. It's 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 really bizarre. Yeah, of, of the multitude of reasons to be upset at Vince McMahon and WWE, which there is many uh, over the last month, over the last week, any day on any given day, uh, they'll find good reasons for you. Uh, I don't know the Luke Harper situation, Saudi Arabia. You know, two things that you want to dump into the revival. You know, some other things you. Could want to jump into this one is is just the most bizarre because yeah it is their footage so they're making not even like i don't know i would say they're making money off their intellectual property they're just showing it to people on WWE network yeah it's probably gonna you know results and maybe a few more people jumping into the network which again that's good business because it's their intellectual property and it's their video and and yeah it's like whatever i mean they just got i i think you know according to people that in the know like they just got this tape it's not like they've been sitting on this tape for for 25 years and go okay well now that starcast is gonna air it all right fuck it now we'll put it on the what on the air like this is something that they just acquired they just got this from her whether it was they paid her whether she don't I, I don't know the ins and outs of that sort of story but again this isn't like they just sat on it and then the second starcast said hey we're gonna show this they went oh no fuck you starcast we're gonna show it like and again even if they wanted to do that that's fine because it's their fucking property <laughs> like, correct even if that like, was the case why like, is that they... weird and mean-spirited maybe but who fucking cares it's their property <laughs> yeah even if that was the case i can't be upset at them for not wanting someone else to profit off of their intellectual property and jumping the gun and beating them too. I can't be super mad at that, uh, especially considering all the other things you could be mad at them for. Uh, this is so low on the list, and this is fan friendly. This is a fan friendly move. You know, they, they've, 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 and listen, this may have, we don't even know the answer to this, Rich. This may even have been their master tape. Because remember, they gave Brett a bunch of shit that Brett asked for. And then Brett gave all of that shit to Mary Kate Anthony to, you know, uh, convert for him. So this may actually have been the, the WWF's master tape to begin with that they let slip out of their hands and just never got back for what, you know, from Brett. So this may literally be their tape. We don't know that for sure, but that could be the case. And there's a good chance that's the case because they haven't been able to find this fucking thing. And we all know one thing they're very good at is their archives. For the most part, they have most of their shit. Yeah, you're and out of your mind if you don't think that they were tr that they had some dude every few every few weeks kind of go and look around and ah eh, now can't find it. Sorry guys, like like they've they've known about this. This has been the holy like you said. I, I know I've known about this match for ten years now at this point, and I'm sure even longer than that. Some people have kind of known about it. It's not like some you know secret that all of a sudden came out a year ago or just came out six months ago when Stark or you know God a month or two ago when Starcast said they were going to do you know their airing of it. Like people have known about this forever, and we and I think a lot of us are confident in knowing that if WWE had that tape, they would have put it up on the network long, long, long time ago. They would have ago. put it on Bret Hart comp DVDs. Right, right, because it was something everybody wanted to see. Yes, <laughs> for sure. So they definitely would have um, done something. I, I mean, it's, it's as, as, you know, I think of them as having, especially compared to other companies, very strong archives. It, it stuns me that they couldn't find a copy and didn't have a copy, which leads me to believe that this possibly could have been their copy. Um, but but that's neither here nor there. We're all going to see it on Monday. 
Um, but I just think it's bizarre that people are, are mad at Why are you mad at You get to see it now. I mean, they could have, uh, they could have purchased this tape from her and just buried it and made sure that nobody saw it or just sat on it. Not even with malice, but maybe just, eh, we got our tape back. We'll do something with it later. No, they're immediately allowing you to see it. Right. While everybody the, is talking about it. Right. The worst thing would to be would to be buy that tape and then just not air it. You know what I mean? Like that would have been the real big fuck you to everybody is tell Starcast, yes. no, you can't air it. We have it, but now we're not going to put it up and nobody can Especially see it. when she didn't put it on YouTube. Right. She could have put it on YouTube and and or or gave it to someone else to put on YouTube or whatever. And and it's like she didn't. So now we're all waiting around, and yeah, they could have gotten their tape back and just sat on it, and they didn't. They're and they're giving it to you almost immediately. I I can't feel all that bad for Starcast because they were trying to profit off of something that wasn't theirs. So um, I I don't have a lot of sympathy in this instance for Starcast, and quite honestly, I think WWE can do whatever the fuck they want with it. It's theirs. So um, don't quite understand that. I'm excited to see it. I would caution people. I can't wait to see it. I know it's going to be very exciting. I mean, I'll watch it Monday night. I mean, I'll watch it as soon as it hits. But I mean, I would caution people to don't expect like a four-star match. (laughs) Right. You have to remember this, you know, the legend of this match has grown, but I don't think anyone is trying to say that it was a great wrestling match. I think what people were saying all of these years was, it was an impressive carry job by Bret Hart in where a terrible wrestler not only was made to look competent, but was made to look like the next gigantic superstar in wrestling. And that's what you should, those are the expectations that you should bring into the match. Right. And also and, keep in mind, it's in 1986, which, you know, a good match in 1986, eh, you know, we talk about this all the time, standards change and, 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 and what we see now is in, in some ways, even if the, even if the story of the match isn't better and all that, so yada, 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 the physical stuff blow us away. And that was one of the things with Tommy Gee is how, you know, physically, you know, gifted he was in, in, in terms of the backflips and all that sort of shit. And like you sort of alluded to when we started the conversation, like him maybe doing one little flip was like, oh, dear God, like this guy is the next level. Like, great. Whereas like now, you know, Ricochet does, you know, 630 in every single match that he's in. So you know, what I'm going to do before I watch it is I'm going to make it a point to watch the other McGee matches that are floating around, because what I want to see is. Does the heart carry job match the legend of right. the heart carry job? Right, right. That's what I'm interested in. And I don't think if, if it doesn't, and this just comes off like the Arn match or the DiBiase match, or you know what I'd be curious of too, if there's any Tom McGee house show matches already on the network, like in the vault, because he did work a lot of house shows and stuff. You know, I um, I don't I, think so. Let me try to, I, I think I could probably figure that out pretty quickly. Not from WWE's Network's search, because that's Garbo, but oh, I could, so there's yeah. another, <laughs> other ways I could find it. So give me, give me a sec. I'll yeah, but, but that'd be interesting too. If there's any other McGee matches on the network, I'd like to check them out. But um, but I thought DiBiase and 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 Arn Anderson did a. I don't remember much about the DiBiase match. To be honest, I've the, the, the Arn Anderson match. I remember more about it, and he did a, a perfectly fine job with him. I think that match was in 1989, the Arn match. So that's three years later. Um, 
you know, because remember, they didn't give up on McGee. He may have wrestled his last match. It was definitely in the 90s. I looked it up. 90s. It was actually it was actually uh, July of 89 was his last. And then he did two shots for a random company in Australia in 1990. But he, he went all the way until um, he went all the way until 89. And when was his first match? Like, it was at 85. Uh, or you know, I just closed it. Let me let me I can fire it up one. Won't take long. Okay. Let me get to it here in a second. Then I will let you know. Yeah. So and I know he wrestled a bunch. of. Here's the thing with McGee. They kept him off of TV. They didn't want to expose this dude to their viewers until he improved. So he worked a lot of house shows and he worked a lot of dark matches at TV tapings. But they really uh, they, they, they did everything they could to keep him off of TV. Um, now, in those days, a lot of the house shows would air locally. We talk about it all the time. MSG Network, uh, Prism down in Philly, uh, Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens, Boston Gardens, uh, the Cap Center in Washington, LA Sports Arena. All those house shows or most of those house shows during those days aired locally on television with WWE commentators and, and, and all that. So some of his matches slipped through the cracks, you know, uh, through, you know, just, just being on house shows and whatnot. So I'm curious if any of those matches are on the network or not. Um, or if they made a concerted effort to keep them off of those cities. Yeah. I I think so. I, yeah, I wasn't able to find anything on the network, uh, searching. And if you look at any of his WWF matches, if it is a wrestling challenge or superstars or whatever, it's dark. So he did house shows, but any of the other ones are dark. So yes. So I know he did dark matches. I know they brought him a TV. Well, that's what I'm saying. Any of the ones that are TVs, none of them are, are, are non dark matches. So but what I'm wondering is the house shows that he did, did they intentionally keep him away from cities where they knew the house shows aired? It kind of looks like that. So here, here's kind of an idea of, of the house shows. I see what you're saying now. So it was Greensburg, Pennsylvania, Hempfield, Pennsylvania, Mount Vernon, New York, uh, some random high school in New York City. So he didn't even do MSG. He did a so D. Wagner high school. <laughs> yeah. So he's working the B and the C tours. Yeah, Tulsa, uh, Oshawa, Davenport, Iowa, Odessa. I'm trying to find one city that I would consider like an a, um, an, a, an, a, an a city. Yeah, not seeing it now. Let me go to a second run here. Uh, we got a Boston Garden versus Tim Horner. You know what? Click that. I bet you that aired. What year know. is that? Yeah, uh, that is eighty nine. That is eighty nine. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if that's on the network. I'm just looking at cage match here. I don't know if that's now, actually by, on the by, network. But by eighty nine, I don't know if the Boston Garden shows were airing anymore. That's the other. Pretty thing. late, yeah. That's pretty late in the game. It says WWF on Nesson, but I, I don't know again if that was. You know what? Did it? Then it did. It did. There's one. So that's on tape somewhere. That's that's it. That's every other one is house shows, and then he's out. So yeah. So and even the house shows are what do we got? The LA Sports Arena, but that's just well, that, 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 that that may have aired. Yeah, that's that's June of 1989 against Horner as well. So that may have aired. The only um, one that has a match time, and, and that's probably why I think that is that that WF on Nesson one that I told you about with uh, McGee yes. and Horner. That one shows at six fifty one for the match time, so that's probably that a hundred percent aired. Yeah, that, that's your one to find then. So somebody has that WWE probably has it, or you know who knows because they've got we know they have those house shows. They put them in the vault, um, but I'm sure that's floating around somewhere. Um, you know, on, on a VHS tape. And oh, here, I, it's actually on YouTube. It looks like <laughs> you can see there it. You so there you go. So that, that so Horner McGee is another one that people could watch. Yeah, Tim yeah. Horner, you know, nice little worker. So, um, you know, I've never seen that match. I'll check that out. Is that Boston Gardner LA sports arena? Uh, it looks just from the cursory. I'll, I got to put it on mute here. So it doesn't, but looks like a Boston garden to me, but let me, uh, let me learn it, run it through here to make sure. Cause, uh, I hope it's LA Sports Arena. That means there's two of them out there. Yeah, yeah. Let's see this. I got some terrible Geico ad up. <laughs> Once that's over, I'll uh, 
move on. Uh, that, oh, that's a parquet. That's Boston Garden, baby. So. All right. So there you go. Boston Garden, Tom McGee, Tim Horner. So you can watch Tim Horner. You can watch DiBiase, which I think is a handheld, if I'm not mistaken. And um, and the Arn Anderson match, which was – that's full commentary. That's a – that aired somewhere on something, the Arn Anderson match. I don't remember the details, but I know it's pro shot with commentary. So. Right, yeah. I don't know off the top of my head. It's um... – yeah, I don't know, but yeah, his, his career is interesting too for for McGee, and 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 this will hopefully maybe come up in this documentary. But like, you know, he starts in Stampede in '85, and and they're putting like the top, you know, they're they're you know even from the beginning they know this is a dude to put like, I mean, he's against you know top guys against Hiro Saito and a bunch of other dudes. They're they're trying like hell uh, to get this guy over. Then he does an All Japan run where he's against like some big dudes. Uh, he gets that first. He goes back to Stampede after that. Gets that dark match with Bret Hart, and then gets used basically for three years by by Dodo Yef with a All Japan run uh, in between there again, just trying to make something of this guy. And yeah. like he's in there with the Kiritawe and like Tenta and like Jumbo Saruta. Like they're just really, really, really trying to get this guy to do it, and it just doesn't click. It just doesn't work. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the Stampede and the All Japan stuff. Obviously, there's all kinds of tape. Um, you know, of, of McGee from those companies. That's that, that's all that stuff's out there too. But, um, but yeah, definitely, um, big news that, that everyone's going to have a chance to see this. And I think good news. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. I can't wait. We're piling on, but, uh, that's, uh, Tom McGee, Bret Hart. And I guess we'll talk more about it, uh, next week, right after we watch it. So yeah. is this Monday? I think that's Aaron. So. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm the first time I've been excited about something WWE's been producing on a Monday, so I can't, I cannot wait so, to watch that. But uh, speaking of WWE producing something, or kind of not really, Vince McMahon producing something, I should say the XFL. Joe, we've always said you know we're we're not a football podcast. Obviously, we're more uh, we're wrestling based, but we can't ignore the XFL. It's a big deal. It has football or it has you know wrestling ramifications. Uh, this year is announced, or this week I should say, it was announced that the XFL reached a multi-year agreement with ES. ESPN and Fox Sports to broadcast its games beginning in 2020. Uh, from a press release as well, the league had also announced its season will start February 8th, the weekend after the NFL season ends with the Super Bowl. Uh, all 43 ga- XFL games, 40 regular season, three playoffs, will be televised with 24 on ABC or Fox. The remainder were, will air on ESPN, ESPN2, FS1, and FS2. Do, you, I, do I get FS2? <laughs> what the hell is FS2? Uh, that, yeah, that's the secondary Fox Sports channel. There's FS1. And Would FS2. I have ever seen that unless I wanted scuzzy like college baseball or scuzzy you know NCAA basketball? Like the, what would, would, would like me? You know, you know my viewing habits. Would I have ever stumbled upon Fox Sports two? No, because it's it's like all right. So if they have Big East basketball, right? They'll put I don't know Villanova Georgetown on FS1, and then like you know DePaul Marquette, <laughs> right? And I, I wouldn't in good conscience watch uh, any DePaul basketball, but I know you're a big fan of the Blue Demons, so there you go, Dave Lato getting that squad on the right path. Uh, ABC will broadcast the league's first game, and Fox will have games on Saturday and Sunday during the XFL opening weekend. ESPN will show the championship game on April 26th. The eight-team league has set its schedule with most games on Saturday and Sunday, airing back-to-back. Uh, the final two weeks will have a Thursday night game on Fox. Uh, the talent agency, again, this is from the press release, the talent agency CAA helps broker the deal and has a long-time relationship with McMahon. The company helped negotiate the latest WWE television agreement, which will have one of its shows moving to Fox on Friday nights starting in late September. Uh, the XFL will have teams in Dallas, Houston, St. Louis, Seattle, Tampa Bay, and Washington. So this all sounds good, right? ESPN, Fox? 
That's good. Ah, man, fantastic television. Go. <laughs> Rich, this is tremendous news. We were all wrong about the XFL. <laughs> we were wrong. Sports Illustrated, though, uh, followed up on this uh, announcement of the TV deal saying that there will be no rights fees paid by ESPN and Fox. Both networks hold the streaming rights to games, and they will handle the promotion of the league ad sales. So the promotion of the league ad sales will be done by Fox and, 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 and ESPN. There will be no rights fees paid to the XFL by ESPN and Fox. And uh, they're gonna they're gonna pay for the production though. That I think there's the one little caveat there is ESPN and Fox will pay for the production of every single game, which they estimate around four hundred thousand uh, dollars per game. So, Joe, I ask you again, which works out, which works out, Rich. To if it is if you're going off that four hundred thousand dollar estimate, you're talking between fourteen and fifteen million dollars total that they're gonna pay in production. So essentially. Vince McMahon is getting roughly $15 million from his television partners to cover production. And that is it. That is it. So that is not a good deal. There, there was a lot of people, I think, looking at the letters and looking at the, you know, ESPN, Fox. All right, let's go like that. And yeah, on its face, you know, I, I said, you know, as we were getting ready for the show, I, I found a press release that didn't mention anything about these rights fees. It just said they're going to air on ESPN and Fox and yada, 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 yada. This is the stuff that's going on. And like, yeah, that's well and good. That's great exposure. That's great networks to have your games on, but they're not paying any rights fees and they're not zero, handling ad sales dollars. and they're yeah, not handling zero. promotion. Yep. So where's the XFL making their money then? Uh, in, you know, live gate. Oh, great. Because <laughs> you were following the AAF, you know, the, the other startup yeah. football league that now failed after what, 12 weeks? Was it, did it even get to 12 weeks, eight weeks? What was it? I forget what week it was. It, it wasn't very long. <laughs> it's only, it's only a 10 week season. So I think they got the week seven or eight. That's okay. Um, uh, crowds were sparse, uh, very sparse for that league, for the AAF. Yeah. There's nobody there. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 AAF was chasing markets that were smaller markets that didn't have professional football teams. So this these XFL are in markets and a lot of markets that already have NFL teams. Right, Dallas, Houston, Seattle, Tampa Bay, and Washington all already have teams. St. Louis is the lone one um, that does not have a team. Right, so you're Sorry, asking, <laughs> or you don't care. You don't. You don't have any. I, I remember you're you're a Rams fan, but you have no allegiance to St. Louis as the city. I forgot about. That. No, when I was when you, I became, you're an LA Rams. You, you grew up in the LA Rams days. I grew up yeah. in LA Rams. Yeah, I mean, I grew up an Eric Dickerson fan. That's the history there. Eric Dickerson was my favorite uh, football player when I was a little kid. So I was an old LA Rams fan going back to about 1984, 1985 when I was you know a little kid. So I, I yeah, St. Louis meant nothing to me. I didn't care when they left St. Louis at all. I, I was I'm I'm actually happy they're back in LA because I associate the Rams with LA. Like a lot of people of a certain age, I guess people over where do you associate them with? St. Louis or LA? Uh, St. Louis for sure. I'm, I'm definitely okay. a, yeah. so how, how old are you? Uh, 32. So I would say anyone 35 or older probably associates them with LA. And people under 35 probably associate them with uh, – because they moved to St. Louis in, what, 94 – 95? 95, uh, I so. think, yeah. But I think for me, like, the first time I really cared about the Rams or knew about the Rams or, or gave any sort of thought to the Rams was the greatest show on turf, and that was St. Louis. You, you know what I mean? So that yeah. was, you know – 99. Yeah, so th- that's really where my – you know, yeah, they existed before that, but I don't really know that I cared much about them because there wasn't really any reason to care about them uh, before that. But then by 99 and then, you know, the, obviously the next three seasons where they're kind of this dominant – team you know or whatnot that, that i always associate with them so yeah 35 years old is a pretty good cutoff because that would make someone like eight or nine and you're being conscious of sports at that point and you might but anyway that that's neither here nor here here nor there the point here is um you know you're asking fans not only you know to buy tickets like the aaf did but in a lot of cities where they already have a favorite football team because nfl is there 
which is a whole different dynamic too. But the trade-off is you're in bigger markets where presumably you would get better coverage and those sorts of things. So you can kind of see the arguments both ways. But the bottom line here is we're wasting a lot of breath. No one is going to be at these games. I mean, they're going to have 10,000 people at these games. So to answer your question, if you're not going to make money, if you're not getting rights fees and you're not selling a lot of tickets, well, then what do you have left? Uh, you know, in-stadium sponsorships, uh, league sponsorships. But you got to be careful, uh, you know, because not necessarily television sponsorships, as you've already detailed. There's not a lot of places to make money here. Uh, the idea here is what we've learned now seeing the deal is Vince McMahon is just going to willingly lose hundreds of millions of dollars in hopes that by the end of his, is it a th- it's a three-year deal, correct? I so, think so, yeah, yeah. But he's going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. He knows he's going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars with the hopes that by the end of the three-year deal, it's doing strong enough ratings to where the networks will want to keep it around. And then he can say, okay, but now I want some rights fees. And then make your money back at that point. This is such a far-fetched gamble. Spring football has failed numerous times. We just saw it fail. We saw Vince himself fail. Uh, you know, 15 years or whatever it was, 17, 18 years, what was it, 18 years ago now? 18 years ago. Uh, it just failed last year. And, uh, you know, the idea that this is going to catch on to the point, look, this could exist for three years. He could lose 300 to $400 million keeping it alive. And it can do decent ratings. The networks can still turn around and say, we'll renew, renew you, but we're not giving you rights fees. I mean, that could conceivably happen here. So, uh, look, this isn't going to work, and it will survive for as long as Vince McMahon chooses to lose money. That's the the lifeline here. Um, If he wants to lose money for the entire three-year duration of the contract, and and these games are drawing, I don't know, a million viewers each, yeah, these networks will keep it around. Why not? What else is FS2 going to put on on a Saturday afternoon that's going to draw a million viewers, right? So, yeah, Fox will be okay with that. No problem, okay? But it, it, this is only going to last as long as Vince McMahon is willing to lose money. That's the bottom line here. And I don't think anybody who's familiar with sports or familiar with these spring football attempts thinks that's going to make that uh, enough of a dent ratings-wise to where after three years, these networks are going to be tripping over each other to pay Vince McMahon a billion-dollar TV deal to air second-rate football, that's just not going to happen, right? And 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 that's yeah. The, the, the no rights fees is kind of staggering, and and in a lot of cases too. And I think what I'd be interested to see is a little bit of the ins and outs of the contracts as well to see, you know, because I think one of the names there that you know they'll have to hold the streaming rights to games. I wonder if that sort of because we know that you know obviously ESPN is is doing whatever they can to get ESPN Plus. To be a little bit more prominent, you know, obviously with the UFC, you know, moving all the pay-per-views there and, and, and moving plenty of other, a bunch of their other properties to that ESPN Plus and, you know, Fox doing, you know, has their own sort of like streaming mess going on and, and, and whatnot. I'm just, I'm curious if there is anything that's like, you know, that, that if ratings don't hit a certain level, that they maybe bump down to those streaming platforms exclusively, or if those are like, if it's set in stone, then it's going to be on ESPN, it's going to be on ABC, it's going to do all that, yada, yada, yada. And like, again, you know, to, to the top, like it is great exposure. Being on ESPN and, and having prominent games on ESPN and, and 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 Fox or whatnot is good. That is good news for sure. But the fact that you're not being paid for it whatsoever, that, that your revenue is going to come from a percentage of ad sales, that your revenue is going to come from live gates, to me, that's untenable because 
yeah, live gate, you know, revenue is is, is good, but like you got to pay for these giant football stadiums. You have to employ the people that run these football stadiums. You have to pay the players. You have to pay people that work in your offices or whatnot. When you go through all that, like, and, and modern sports, modern sports do, do not make money off of live gates. Life, modern sports, that is not the lifeblood of modern sports. The lifeblood of modern sports is rights fees. The lifeblood of modern sports is streaming agreements. The the, the lifeblood is, 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 you know, packaged, tiered cable. You, you know, that that's what keeps these, these these that's why the nba is exploding like it is that's why mlb makes money hand over fist even if nobody's going to any of the games because they don't care a right. hundred people could go to raise games all year and they're still going to make money hand over fist literally right. they could close the doors to tropicana field play the games there and they're still going to make money hand over fist <laughs> without right. a single yeah. person buying a season ticket a single person buying a skybox they could close the door to that place just play the games there and they will make a profit on the year because there's so much money invested in the streaming rights and and, and the regional networks deals and all that sort of stuff so when you say that there's a league that's going to say ah you know what fuck the rights fees fuck all this shit we're gonna make money on live gates and ads that's that's i i don't know that well, well, here's the thing they're not even saying they're gonna make money on right on on uh on, on the gate and 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 and, and ads he knows he's going to lose money okay? right that's the thing he's prepared he just cashed out all that stock knowing that all that money is going to go up in flames over the next three years uh they concede that point rich yeah, the gamble here is that by the end of the three years, this thing will have taken off and be so popular that the networks are going to want to pay for it. That is the entire. And, and here's the thing: at some point, if he gets tired of losing money, the only person who can shut it down really is Vince. Why would the network shut it down if they're if they're drawing even slightly below what they're expecting ratings wise? They're not paying for it, so why would they shut it down? They're not going to shut it down. You know, this isn't a situation like where NBC said. We cannot do the worst ratings in the history of television in primetime, so you're canceled. That's not what this is, okay? There's no reason for Fox to boot them away because it's probably going to beat whatever they have on FS2 for the duration of this deal. We just talked about it. There's nothing on FS2 except for, you know, uh, college basketball games during the winter. Uh, That's it. You know, I couldn't tell you what's on FS2 right now. Look on your guide right now and tell me what's on FS2. In fact, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me know. Yeah, I'm not near my, my TV. You know, there's nothing on FS2. Okay, so it's it's just... Poker probably or something stupid like that. Bro. Yeah, something completely... You know, like college you baseball. Know. My guess is like some rant, like Vanderbilt versus, you know, not even that. Like, fuck, Vanderbilt would probably be on uh, one of the higher networks. It's probably like, you know, Florida Gulf Coast versus somebody here. <laughs> I don't even think they air like college baseball. I couldn't even say, but the point here is there's no reason for these networks to cancel it unless it completely bombs. And I do think that there is a certain floor for football. Uh, look, Rich, there's probably 700,000 people that'll watch football every Saturday or Sunday in this country. And oh, we saw I, with the AAF. I mean, the AAF was getting good TV ratings. People are willing yes, to, to to roll out of bed and turn on football and 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 have it on their TV. They're less so inclined to go pay money to watch third-rate football live at a stadium, especially the week after you know the NFL season concluded. But they're fine rolling out of bed and turning it on. Like they they that's never that's almost never been a problem for for spring football is people watching on TV all that much. It did for NBC because they, they put in, they, they literally put all, all they could into it, the, the TV ratings and that just didn't work out and pan out. But AF like TV ratings wise was doing fine. Like that wasn't that big of an issue. It was just, nobody was going to the, the stadium and then they didn't have any money to, which was another yeah, well, huge issue. Paying, yeah. They were paying to be on TV. Right. And that's not good. It just wasn't sustainable. AAF didn't get canceled by their networks. 
No, they, they ran out of money. Yeah. <laughs> they ran out of money. They would have kept it on. They were doing a decent amount of viewers. Rich, you know what's on FS2 right this second? What do you got? Cliff diving. Oh. Do you want to know what's coming on FS2 after the cliff diving? More cliff diving? More cliff diving. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, I know what I'm watching after. Do you want to know what's coming where, where on? Where are we? Are, are we cliff diving in different areas here? Can, can you read the guides uh, here? What do we got? Yes. The cliff diving on right now is from Portugal. Portugal. Okay. Cliff that's, that's, diving, that has some pretty good cliff diving. Yeah, I'm sure. It does. The cliff diving on after that cliff diving. <laughs> right. Yeah, the cliff does. diving. <laughs> sure, it does. The cliff diving coming on after the Portugal cliff diving is from Mostar in Bosnia. Okay. And Ooh, Herzegovina. Okay. We got some Bosnia and Herzegovina cliff diving. And then uh, nine o'clock tonight, Rich, you want to know what's on after the cliff diving? <laughs> it's cliff diving again, isn't it? More cliff diving. Yes, this Acapulco, time Mexico. Let's go. From the Serpent's Lair ah. in, uh, near Galloway. Hold on. This is a very long one, and it doesn't even fit on my screen. Near Galloway Bay, Ireland. So we've got the Serpent's Lair. Ooh, that could be cold. That feels like that'll be cold, right? I. You know what? Look. <laughs> Those other ones are warm. I don't know. We're going to cliff dive. I want to do it somewhere called the Serpent's Lair. That sounds like uh, a lot of fun. Then after that is cliff diving highlights for a half hour. A lot of cliff diving on FS2. And then there's some Australian rules football uh, to take you through to the wee hours. And then, you know what we have in the wee hours, Rich? <laughs> Paid programming? Replays of the cliff diving. Oh <laughs> Coming so, on. Oh, until God. So, yeah, if they don't have to pay the XFL to throw games that aren't cliff diving on, then, yeah, that that's... Oh boy, I didn't realize FF2 was as dire as it is. That is. I, I'm telling you, there's nothing there. You want to see what's on? Okay, when would the football air? Uh, Saturday, uh, Saturday and Sundays, yeah. Like in the afternoon hours? Or something uh, like it's something. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't say exactly. Prime it's just more games Saturday and Sunday airing back-to-back. So, I think the big thing is that it's not prime time, which is another, you know, they, they don't, there's not as much pressure to deliver. Let's see. So Saturday afternoon, we've got uh, America's Day at the Races. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a horse racing roundup. Then we've got some college softball taking us through, and then some uh, uh, bun. Uh, I'm trying to pronounce this. Let's see. <laughs> it's not good. Bundesliga, Bundesliga soccer. Bundesliga soccer. Uh, Leipzig versus FC Bayern Munich. Oh, so maybe some kind of German soccer of some kind. I have no idea what that is. So, and then cliff diving. So that's your Saturday on FS2. Um, they might be better off with the soccer, to be completely honest. Yeah, they probably should just air that, that. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's bad soccer. Someone will have to tell us. Yeah, I don't. I don't know anything about the football. I don't know anything about the beautiful game, so I can't. I uh, can't. That could be like third division or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. Bayern Munich. I felt like that was a good team before. Maybe, maybe not anymore. So I don't. Again, anyway, I don't know anything. So. so anyway, I mean, we're, we're we're trying to be funny here, but the point here is, yeah. You know, XFL is going to do better than that stuff on something like FS2. Now, ESPN and, you know, they're airing Thursday. They're airing a couple Thursday night games on Fox, aren't they? Which is kind of. Yeah. So is it the final two weeks? We'll have a Thursday night game on Fox. Yeah. So, I mean, those could bomb tremendously and that could go away in year two or three. If, if, if that, you know, does way below the Fox average on, um, on Thursday nights. But the point here is this thing will exist for as long as Vince McMahon wishes it to exist and for as long as he wishes to lose money. There is no way to make money in the first three years. And Vince McMahon knows this, but it's obviously been this thing that's been burning in his soul to correct this mistake and make football work. 
Um, so he's going back into and giving it an honest go before he's so old that, it, I mean, the guy's already past 70. How much longer can he wait? You know, if he was, if he, for this football dream to come to fruition. So he's trying it now. Uh, maybe it'll last the full three years. If it does, that really doesn't mean anything. It just means he wanted to lose money for three years. Uh, this is not a good deal. You, you can't spin this. This isn't an advantageous deal for the XFL. It's an exposure deal with the hopes that by the end of it, that they can make some money off it. By then he's 75 years old for, you know, I mean, so it's like, I don't know. I, I don't, I, you know, it's, and here's the other thing. They're being cheap players. We know that. And the only way you're going to get big ratings is to get big quarterbacks. Nothing else matters except the big quarterbacks, right? But the, res- the self-imposed restrictions they've put on themselves, nobody with a criminal record. All right. You can't bring Johnny Manziel in. Okay. Uh, no, remember he made a big deal. Everyone's going to stand for the anthem. Well, you can kiss Colin Kaepernick goodbye. Those are two guys who might be able to make a difference, and they're not in the NFL. And you've eliminated them from the equation just by your self-imposed rules that you've put in place before you even started the thing up. So there's that to consider too. They've eliminated two potential top stars before the thing even starts. I think if you get Colin Kaepernick, people will watch that. I think people will be drawn to that big time if you bring it. But, you know, he, they've already dug their heels in the ground on the anthem thing. So who knows if Colin Kaepernick would want to play? Who knows if he'd want to play football in the second rate league anyway? Right. He, and and that's why, well, I mean, you use the term second rate. I use the term third rate because college football is, is a huge deal. I think people forget yes. that they're, that, that, you know, that scratch is a pretty big itch come not spring. I mean, there are those spring games, obviously, that, that people go absolutely nuts for to watch guys practice or whatever, which is a whole different level of, of <laughs> I'm not even going to get into spring games and recruiting and all that sort of mess or whatever. But like, you know, by what, midsummer or so, you're already kind of ramping up with, in terms of college football. So that's really pretty much going already. So they have a little window here where they are, as you said, sort of second rate or the only game in town. But once college football comes, like most people that really truly care about football and and, and enjoy football and follow football, they're going to go to college football. They, they, they would rather watch college football over, I think, you know, secondary pro football. And, and we've seen that for years and years and years. So, well, of course. I mean, but this is the spring, to be fair. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, it is the spring, to be fair. But do you think there's a chance that Vince says, you know, fuck it, let me pretend I never said that stuff because I've got to get Colin Kaepernick versus Johnny Manziel on Fox on a Thursday night because people will watch that and that'll give me a fighting chance here. Do you? Th- what are the odds you think he goes back on something? Uh, pretty high, I'd say, because that's yeah. I mean, the other part too is like you know the no criminal record, all that sort of stuff. Like that that really limit. I mean, I'm not saying that like everybody that plays football is a criminal, but like there are a lot of people that have even the dumbest little charges on there. You, you know what I mean? Like idiots from college doing dumb stuff. Like you're really, really, really limiting your stuff. And 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 there was other stuff too where he you know just just different things that he kind of said in that in that statement that really kind of limits the amount of guys that you can get in and 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 like you said really in a lot of ways limits like when you look at, at, at big time there's there's your tim tebow types which i i think the tebow thing's even kind of passed at this point like i don't know if you put tim i i maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe i i, I don't quite understand Listen, you, you, don't, you don't think they're calling up tim tebow oh i Come think they on, are they but is tim tebow having the same effect that a manzel and colin kaepernick oh, would yeah and you know manzel too to be fair i mean he played in canada and that got no play in the United right States. so played. i don't know that that's and, where and, yeah, i'm not and, sure and, and AAF brought him in at the end. Now, I think he only played one game, so it was too late to see what kind of – but that didn't really make a huge dent either. So maybe even Manziel, maybe we're overrating the impact he would have at this point too. I don't know. And Kaepernick, I mean, you're going to have to pay him millions of dollars. 
But does Vince I think say- he would? I think he would make a big deal, but I don't know if Vince is going to bend over backwards to you know <laughs> adhere to the the whatever Colin Kaepernick wants. Like I I don't know if that's really quite what what they're trying to do with the league. So yeah, that, and Tebow too isn't going to play for free. I mean that guy he's got money. He he you know he's on he's an ESPN analyst. He's playing minor league baseball. I mean you know so. You know, I don't. You know, so even if Vince is willing to lose a few million more dollars by bringing in at least high profile, high profile star quarterbacks, and you know, filling out the roster with bums, um, you know, who's to say? Like we're saying that these guys will even make that much of a difference at this point because a lot of them are their stars have faded. So, right. um, I don't know. It's gonna be tough. Yeah, unless you're gonna go out there and just the real thing. And like you look at other leagues that were successful in the way that they were, the USFL for as short as it was uh, successful, the ABA, uh, you know, the secondary leagues that were successful. The way you do that is kind of scooping big time college guys before the NFL can get them. Yeah. That's yeah. what you have to do. And and are they, do they have that sort of money? Are those, are they those type of players? I, I don't know that that's, that's going to be the case. Like whoever I, you know, I don't follow, you know, modern football that much, but whoever like the big guy that's supposed to, you know, the, the best quarterback in college football, like they got to go get that guy. And like, are well, they yeah, in the when, position to do that? Like that's right. When the USFL went out and they offered more money to Jim Kelly and Herschel Walker. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, what would be a comp here would be if Vince swooped in and he got Kyler Murray. Right. Yeah. Before, before anybody could get him, he, he gave Kyler Murray a, a boatload of money and Kyler said, Oh yeah, fuck that. I'm going to the XFL. That's sort of what gets momentum on, on, on secondary league side, not just Correct. sort of like third rate players. And then maybe some, some has been that, that, that usually doesn't do it. And there's precedent that players will take that money, but it doesn't seem like the XFL is interested in spending a whole lot of money on players. And the other disadvantage they have is with the AAF, they had clauses in their contract that if the NFL came calling, you can go. That's what happened with Josh Johnson, who was the number one pick in the AAF quarterback draft and was going to be the star of the league. But then the Redskins had a bunch of quarterback problems and they they hired Josh Johnson. And that was the end of that. And, uh, you know, he didn't play it down in the AAF. The XFL, from what I understand, I could be wrong, but I think I read this. You can't jump to the NFL. You sign a contract with us, you're playing with us. Rich, that tells me that a lot of good players – who are you know uh, aren't currently on an NFL roster or still have the dream? They're not going to sign with the XFL. They don't want to be locked into that because they're waiting around you know after week one, week two of the NFL season, the injuries to to get a phone call, and they want to make it in the NFL. So if that's the case, that's a big mistake too. You know they they really should have that same clause in there. Where but that's probably Vince's wrestling mentality. Oh, he's you know if you're with me, you're with me. You know, and and I'm not letting my stars walk and go. To, but I mean, just for quality of play. Here's the other thing too: it's got to be a decent quality of play, or people are going to turn out real quick. And that, and that happened to the first XFL. The first XFL yeah. was funny, and there was he hate me, and there was Tommy Maddox, and and there was a few guys that were good. But by and large, 95 of those players fucking sucked. And and it was like, yes. and and in football particularly, and, and I think we talked about this the first time we talked about the XFL too, is the 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 drop off from like. NFL to anything past the NFL is like night and day. And people take a people maybe don't even realize that quite as much. We're seeing it a little bit more in today's NFL is that like if you aren't prepared, if you don't have a stable of guys ready to go in a stable, like if you have injuries, you're fucking done. Because that guy you bring up off the street, he stinks. That guy is awful. You know what I mean? Compared to these guys that are are are, are trained and and have have 
stood the test of time and, and, and been able to get through college and get through high school and get to the NFL and, and stay healthy and say, I mean, like that is just a, a minor miracle to get to that point. So that when those guys drop like flies and you got to call a dude off the street, like it is, it is night and day between the top NFL stars and like dudes off the street. And, and that's the problem is that this, the, the, the XFL is going to be going for those guys. They're going to be going for your guys in college that weren't good enough to make it to the NFL or guys that were, you know, in the NFL and flamed out for whatever reason. And that's, that's a, real big bridge i mean that is a huge bridge especially with the nfl carrying as many people as they are on their rosters and and with as many teams as they have is that you're really looking at like you know what is it the next you know thousand best players that that played football like that's not a you know it's it's not a good okay so you've got 54 man rosters in the nfl and then you can carry i think up to eight guys on a practice squad so you're talking what uh something like uh 63 64 players somewhere in that neighborhood then you got guys on injured reserve you got about 70 guys on nfl team Okay, on the on the thirty two NFL teams, but again, they're not even getting the next guys because right. those so two thousand two hundred and forty guys, <laughs> right? And then they're not getting the next wave because those guys are waiting around to get NFL jobs, and they're not committing to the XFL. Those guys were going to the AAF because the because the NFL could still sign them. Those guys aren't going to go to the XFL, so you're getting like the third wave of guys who know that they can't play in the NFL. I mean, and, and and when you're talking about the quarterback play is going to be horrendous if that's the case. Horrendous quarterback play. And you know as a sports fan that it all starts with quarterback play. If you can't get guys to play quarterback, your on-field product is going to be trash. So it, this, it's not looking good unless they seriously change their strategy on how to go about even getting players. But again, Rich, this is all a waste of breath. It's not going to work anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're going way too in depth here because it's just it's not. This will probably work. be the last that we talk about the XFL until it kicks off. But uh, yeah, that, that's I just wanted to get it in there. But yeah, that's um, yeah, a, a league dependent on live attendance and ads is and and losing money for three years is probably not a good thing. So uh, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, anybody championing this deal is a good deal. You got to look at the details there. It is it is not a good deal in the sports landscape. In the sports TV landscape, it is just not. I mean, not getting rights fees, even getting a even getting a million dollars, two million dollars, three, just anything that you can count as pure profit, they're not getting any of that. They are going to have to scratch and claw for any amount of money that they make, and 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 all that money they're going to make. I mean, all of it is going to be going to just trying to keep the league alive, and that's 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 untenable. I mean, that's a it's really a bad spot to be in for for Vince McMahon or anybody involved in it. So so here you go, over under. 2.5 years way under. So you don't think Vince, uh, you don't think he goes the full three years of the contract. You think he taps out earlier. I think he's out earlier. I, I just think agree. you can't, I just don't think you could. I, 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 he's a smart enough business as, as stubborn as he is. He is a smart enough businessman to know this is a fucking disaster. I got to go because he, and, and people don't quite understand. They, they're going to lose so much fucking money in that first year that, you know, somebody asked me, do I do I think it's going to last longer than the AAF? And I said, I think it probably will, but I don't know much more beyond that. It'll they'll finish their year, I think, but I think when they look at the books and sit down and go, oh Jesus, what are we doing here? Can we do two more years of this bloodletting? I don't think so because it is going to be a bloodletting. It, it, it it's a bloodletting for successful second rate 
leagues that like the usfl and all those other leagues and it's single entity too that's the other thing that i think a lot of people are forgetting and, and again we're real deep in the weeds with the sports discussion here but there aren't other owners that are giving anybody else money you know what i mean like in uh, in other sports leagues it, it is a collection of owners that come in and and some of them are you know have a bunch of money and they they, they buy in and whatnot and and that can cause its own set of issues with you saw with the af or you know guys don't have the money they say they're going to have the xfl is all dependent on itself there are no owners bailing it out. There are no owners paying the rights to have a league or, or, or the rights to have a team or whatnot. It is all the XFL running. They are running all the teams. They're paying for all the players. They're paying for all the stadiums. They're paying for all the marketing departments. They're paying for all the jerseys. They're paying for all the helmets. They're, you know what I mean? Like It is all them, and that is just <laughs> – single-entity sports leagues do not do well unless they are lean – uh, as can be, and 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 or they get you know big rights fees, and and, and they don't have that, so it's it's going to be tricky. I mean, go look at the I, history uh, of single entity sports leagues; it's not good. I go under as well. I think um, I don't see him cashing out more stock to uh, to keep it uh, to keep it alive. I think it lasts. I think they finish two full seasons, and after the second year, I think he takes a look at what he's got left to fund this thing, and he says, "You know what? This just isn't going to happen." And I think they tap out after year two. So I will go under. 2.5 years as well uh so uh so we'll see all right well while we're on the topic of tv we're gonna get to some other uh reviews as well here in a bit we got the Dontaku review we got uh dragon gates uh dead or live we want to talk about but uh before we do that uh rumors going on about, about the aew tv deal looks like tnt might be uh, the spot, we'll talk about the, some of the stuff here and there, but this is uh, comes from the rap.com. Uh, Tony Magoli. Is it Tony Magol, uh, Magol? I don't know how to pronounce Maglio, it. Maglio. 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 There we go. Tony Maglio. Uh, just basically, here's the press release that he said again from the rap.com. Uh, and I think he was the first one to go onto a website with it. There were some other tweets and whatnot. I think Front Row Brian, uh, one of our uh, <laughs> old, uh, I don't know, like he's always been a guy that's been around. I don't know. I'm not, call, I wouldn't call him a friend, but a guy that, you know, has been around and, and at least we've had, uh, you know, some some rumblings with, you know, in the, in the past. And not, not rumblings. That we haven't been fighting with the guy. I don't know what. Whatever. Uh, the <laughs> like, what Rich is what Rich is awkwardly saying is he's been a listener of the show and right. Uh, like, what do you say? I don't know. Like, I don't know. He's an acquaintance. How about yeah, that? there we go? Acquaintance is a good word. There we go. An acquaintance for for years. Uh, uh, the All Elite Wrestling Turner deal is now quote virtually done. A person with knowledge of the plan sells the rep exclusively. Current plans call for the partnership to be announced through Select Press one hour before Warner Media's Wednesday upfront event. Uh, the individual said the agreement made between the parties called for a small group of reports to be informed of the agreement on an embargoed basis the evening before. Um, current plans call for Turner to begin airing a weekly AW wrestling show this fall on TNT. Financial terms of the deal are not expected to be disclosed as AW is not a publicly traded company. So um, there's a bunch of other stuff there. If you want to read the rap.com, of course, as I said, has all that. But all we need to know here is uh, quote, virtually done. Rumors that uh, that it's pretty much locked up. AEW to TNT. Uh, presumably, we'll know on Wednesday when they do their upfronts. But uh, current plans uh, call for Turner to begin airing a weekly AEW wrestling show this fall on TNT. Joe, what do you make of that news? If those sources are correct, I think it's exactly what we all expected. Um, Maglio was also the guy who pontificated on the possibility of the time buy, which really set people off and 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 made people go crazy. Uh, which we then debunked through our own um, various AEW sources. Maglio himself says that he wasn't saying it was going to be a time buy. It was just one of the possibilities that he had mentioned on the podcast that he went on. Right. Believe it or not, wrestling reporting somewhere along the line forgot to add context to the thing that they tweeted out or, or, or did their article about. But yeah, no, he he basically in an interview was like, yeah, they could do a time buy. And everyone's like, oh, they're going to do a time buy. So that's, you know. 
Right. So, you know, and, and actually, you know, to be fair, he said he had heard from someone that a, that a time by was a possibility. And it's like, still, who was that someone? It was just some random person that works at Turner who, uh, you know, but anyway, the point is we talk to people who are literally at the table negotiating these things. And, and that was debunked um, by those people. So, um, you know, that that's no longer in play. I think we all uh, thought that TNT was Turner in some form was going to be the destination. And, um, you know, we were told under no uncertain terms that there is no way that they were going to uh, buy time. That that's never was under consideration. So they're going to be getting something from Turner. Again, they don't have to report it, I guess, but it, it'll probably come out. As a television deal, this is beyond the scope of just pro wrestling. So I think that uh, some television trade journal will get a hold of the information. And we'll, we're going to find out how much money they're getting from Turner. And uh, now it's just a question of what day of the week. And uh, we know we know it's going to be prime time, right? So um, you know they're going to have to deliver at a certain level. And it's impossible really to analyze this without knowing how much money they're getting what night of the week they're going to be on. If we confirm it, whether it's going to be an hour, an hour and a half or two hour show, I need more information before I can analyze mm-hmm. what any of this means. I think it's, you know, obviously now that we know they're going to Turner and they're going to TNT, that's positive. That's a good thing. That's a lot better than being on, you know, FS2 as we've just, uh, you know, uh, broken down uh, for you a few moments ago. But other than that, I, you know, I, there, there's, there's really not much here that we can analyze and opine on because, you know, if, if they're getting $0 like the XFL, it's not such a hot deal. Uh, if they're getting, you know, $150 million versus getting $20 million versus getting $5 million versus getting a half a billion dollars, I don't, you know, I need to know the money and I need to know the particulars of the deal. Before I can say, okay, and I need to know a viewership expectation and, and, and the dollar amount is going to dictate the viewership expectation. Right, right. So all of these things correlate and it's impossible really to analyze it until we know uh, more information. Uh, one thing I think we can do that, that I, I found a little fun as well, and I put it up on, on Twitter at Voices Wrestling as well, just kind of asking people, you know, if you were hypothetically AEW and, and TNT said, all right, we're into this deal. What day do you guys want to run? And if you were at that table... Is there a day in the week that you, Joe, you would say, all right, look, if you're going to give us, whether it be an hour, two hours, whatever the specifics, if TNT just said, all right, what day do you want? We'll give you whatever day you want. What day would you choose? Would you go to Monday to go right for the head for head, uh, the head to head with, with WWE? Would you try to go to a Tuesday or Wednesday, a night that probably will not have wrestling and SmackDown Live, of course, is moving to Fridays? Uh, do you go Thursday? Like, wh- where, where do you go with this? Because there's a lot of different ways. I mean, Monday, anyway, I'll, I'll give my thoughts first. Where, where if you, if you were at that table and, and, and TNT just said, Joe, where do you want to put the show? And you had the choice, wh- which day of the week would you go for? Well, you don't have a lot of options. I mean, yeah, if they're going to bump basketball, which they're not going to do. <laughs> they're not going to do. Yeah, that, Again, people need to know TNT and, ba- and and the NBA have a huge relationship for, for many, 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 many years. Tuesday is a night that they run uh, players-only games that used to be on NBA TV that got decent enough ratings that they moved them to TNT starting in January and then until the end of the year. So January until like basically May, they're running those games on, on, on Tuesdays. Thursdays is out of the question for TNT. Thursdays is their big NBA day. That's where the marquee games are. That's where you get your Warriors Rockets, your, 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 your whatever LeBron's doing or wherever he's at, he's playing on Thursday. Thursday is out of the question. There's no way TNT is going to put AEW on a Thursday, or if they do, it's going to be at 1 a.m. after all the NBA games. You do not want Thursday. You're, you're either at 5 p.m. before the NBA games or you're at 1 a.m. after inside the NBA. 
Right. Thursday is out of the question because inside the NBA does a giant number until one in the morning. Exactly. Right. And then you're going to basically try to hope that, yeah, that, that if it's Thursday, just forget it. it, it that, that is not worth it at all. Uh, Friday, Friday is going to be weird because Friday is not a great TV night and you're already going to have SmackDown in there anyway. So I scratch Friday out Saturday, Sunday, of course, same deal. Scratch those out. I don't think those would be very good uh, deals anyway, you know, presumably. So, so you're Joe are at the table. So you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, basically are the three days that you'd be looking at, which, you know, the pros and cons for each day, I'd say. Yeah. And I don't even think they're getting Tuesday, like you said. And, um, you know, Monday would go against everything. They have, they have been very careful to not position themselves as competition for WWE. They've been so careful at that. They are just their own thing. They're going to try to do their own thing. They've tried to stay out of all that stuff. That's more fans that say that shit, uh, that get into those sort of arguments and disputes. So I don't think personally that they want anything to do with Monday. I think they're going to be on Wednesday. Now, we know that they got the trademark for the Tuesday Night Dynamite, and I know that's a valid point. But Rich, like you said, this NBA thing on Tuesday is new. Did they get that trademark before TNT started airing? Oh, that's interesting. Let me let me see. Tuesday Night Dynamite, right, was the name of the, the – yeah, let me see when that, when that got uh, trademarked, and then I can try to give you an answer there. Um, that was January 9th, 2019, so basically the same time that NBA rolled out the players-only thing on Tuesdays as well. Right. So they may not have known that Tuesday may have been available at that time on Turner and they may not have, you know, they may have thought they had to deal with another network when they, when they filed for that trademark. What I'm trying to say is also, I think we should know too, that Cody just kind of sometimes just trademark shit to trademark shit and AEW kind of just trademark shit to trade. I mean, he's just trademarking shit. His dad liked or, or said, or had in a notebook at this point. You, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's like a set in stone that, well, they trademarked this. Like it's not that hard to put a trademark down for something that you might not. That's use, exactly so. what I was going to say. The trademark <laughs> means nothing. It, 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 it was an idea at the time and it, it, they could, people trademark shit all the time. Honestly, I don't think there's any other option, but Wednesday. And I think Wednesday is a perfect night to do it. You've got the basketball the night before where they can push the shit out of it because you have some crossover audience there, I would say, basketball fans and wrestling fans. We see what it does to Raw during basketball season. So there's definitely some crossover there between sports fans and wrestling fans. We've known that for years. Uh, And and they can wedge it from Turner's perspective. They could have a nice three-night block for a majority of the year where you've got the basketball, wrestling the next night and then basketball again on the third night and they can cross promote that stuff. And I think it works for all parties to be on Wednesday. I don't think any other night honestly makes sense. You're trying to, you're not going to do Monday. I don't think they want anything to do with Monday for the same reasons. You don't want anything to do with Friday in addition to it being a bad TV night. And you don't want to do the weekends. You can't do Tuesday and Thursday. Rich, I really don't have any other answer for you. It has to be Wednesday. Yeah, it, it, to me, Wednesday uh, number one because you, you that that's steers you clear, and that's the, the the night that you can most create a niche for yourself. Monday, if you would tell me a year ago, Joe, would you put AWT or, or Rich? Would you put AWTV on on Mondays? I would say hell no. That's a terrible idea. I, <laughs> like I still think it's a bad idea, and I wouldn't do it. And you're right that it's absolutely against everything that they've talked about. But if there was ever a time to say, you know what, fuck it, let's go on Mondays. It would be now, and I would never advise them to do that. But if somebody really said, "Hey, let's 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 think let, let, let's get risky here, let's go for it," I wouldn't I wouldn't immediately discount it. I wouldn't immediately say, "No, it's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. We're not doing that." A year ago, I would have said that. Now, I don't know with the ratings that, that Raw is doing and, and the potential there to have you know sort of create some of the stuff that you had with WCW, but, but I wouldn't want to do that. 
I still, it's, it's to me, if I was in that boardroom or I was in that room or whatever, I would at least say, okay, let's, let's look at the pros and cons. Let's, let's talk about it. Where any other time in the history, in the last 20 years, I would have never said, let's talk about it. I would have said that is the dumbest idea. No, let's go to Wednesdays. Do you kind of share a similar thing? I'm not saying I think they should, but I'm saying I would allow the conversation for it. You think it should at least be under discussion? I think maybe you look at it and go, all right, look, let's, what are the pros and cons? The, The pros are obviously, you know, it's a traditional wrestling night, so maybe we get people that are going to do the, the the channel flip or whatever. The cons are we're going up against WWE, an established for many many years. You know, thing the pros WWE is doing the worst ratings and the worst viewership they've done uh, in years and years and years. Uh, and the con might be, well, maybe that's not a good night for 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 you know for wrestling. Or the other con too is once Monday Night Football comes, then you're up against another one of those juggernauts. Or now we're seeing with WWE, they're up against you know uh, you know the NBA playoffs, which which are going to be there no matter what for, for for you. So there are there are a lot of things up against it. But I think maybe you look at it and go, hey, it's a traditional pro wrestling night, and WWE is faltering in the, in that day. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to kind of say, okay, let's let's go on this day and sort of for those old laps fans say, hey, we're kind of recreating this a little bit. And and the first thing that people bring up when you bring that up is, well, TNA did it and it was a miserable failure. But the thing is that TNA was, and, and I think people forget about this. When TNA did that, they already had five, six, seven years of just toxic garbage coming out of their company you, you know what i mean like the, the the press around tna at that time was not good they were seen as just WWE has-beens doing this other random company they had many vince russo eras that that weren't really good they had brought in you know a hulk hogan and eric bischoff and all this sort of stuff it was a toxic brand at that point i don't know that anything was going to save tna at that point but they did okay they had their million viewers or whatnot or i think it was a million or 1.2 or forget what the the, the the exact viewership numbers were and those people stayed and they watched on mondays and they had a little uptick on mondays but then eventually they just got destroyed but that was a very different WWE at that time, and AEW is a very different company than TNA. Still, with that said, I get all the cons, and to me, I probably wouldn't do it. I just think, now, like I said, now more than ever, I think you can have the conversation for it. But ultimately, if I'm at that board meeting and we have to decide, okay, what day is it, guys? I'm going to vote Wednesday. I'm going to put my hand up for Wednesday, but I would at least like to bring Monday to the table and talk about it a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, the thing about Monday is I wouldn't do it. I don't I don't know why I'd want to split the fan base. I'd want to try to potentially get as many wrestling fans as I as humanly possible to watch my show. And there's going to be some that are going to pick WWE over you. Um, you know, uh, but at the same time Rich, I would have given you the same answer in 1995 and I would have been wrong. But I would have said the same. I think right. you know at the time most of us thought that was very stupid. And it turned out to be, you know, the best decision they ever made. But I, but with all that said, I still wouldn't do it. I'd still go Wednesday. Now, here's the thing: who airs the Wednesday night NBA playoff games? ESPN or uh, ESPN? Yeah, ESPN does. Okay, so even more reason. I mean, you you completely stay out of the way. You go to Monday. Okay, who airs the Monday playoff games? Is I think ESPN. Second? I think it's ESPN. I believe. But so I, you I could be wrong. Playoff regular season. So that's the thing. You, you don't want to get bumped for playoff games either for two months. You know, you, you want that steady night of the week all year long. Um, if Wednesday is free and clear of everything, I, you know, it just Wednesday makes way too much sense to me. Um, now, for our purposes, I'd like them to go to Monday. That'd be exciting. There'd be a lot to talk about, obviously, all the time. And um, but but, you know, if, if, if I'm in the company, I, I really don't want anything to do with that. I think Wednesday really has to. It's got to be Wednesday. Seems like the best play for me as well, but um, we'll see. Yeah, as you said, it's hard to really break this down until we see, but uh, by this uh, this time next week, 
Uh, presumably, if, if these sources are correct, uh, we should have enough to talk about. So that'll be pretty fun to uh, to see how that goes. And we got another player, hopefully, in the uh, uh, the network TV uh, uh, wrestling game. So I'm, I'm excited about if that. They a, if they get a monster deal, the numbers will be out there pretty freely. They'll leak them. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if it's if the deal is not so hot, I, I see. I think <laughs> right. I think the numbers are going to emerge no matter what because you can't. You know, the wrestling journalism industry is shit, as we all know. There's like two or three people on earth that we can trust to get any kind of information. And it's very easy to suppress information in wrestling. We all know that. But this crosses into the real world, so to speak. This is the television industry. Someone's going to get the numbers. You're not going to have to rely on wrestling reporters to get this story. Someone is going to have that information eventually. I'm just saying if it's a great deal, a lot of people are going to have the information there, you know, because the AEW side isn't going to be shy about sharing it. Um, But if it's a shitty deal, it's still going to be out there. Someone's going to dig it up, whether it's Variety or this Maglio guy or whoever else or one of the other thousand people that do his job. Someone is going to have the information and we're going to know by next week. All right, uh, let's get to some of this other stuff here. As we mentioned, Wrestling Dontaku at night one and two, uh, best of the junior, uh, Super Juniors blocks schedule, some other stuff, as well as, as, well as uh, Dragon Gate's Dead or Alive. So a lot of really exciting stuff to talk about here. Uh, Any way you want to start, we have uh, plenty of ways to go. I think we have to start with the best of the Super Juniors and um, and, and, and go from there. Um, devastating news uh. coming through. Do you want to quickly brief people on the Pick'em and what you're doing to handle all that? Yes. Yeah. So so if you have entered, if you don't know, we are doing a Pick'em game uh, again this year for the best of the Super Juniors. So you can go to voicewrestling.com for details uh, on that. Um, as far as the Pick'em, so of course we released it and people put in the ballots. We had a bunch of people immediately throw ballots in, which is great. It's, it's awesome to see that many people sort of want to jump into these games and whatnot. It's always, always fun when we do this. But uh, the downside is that when we put this out early, which we kind of had to because the best of the Super Juniors kicks off Monday, uh, is that we had some injury uh, replacements, which has happened in the past, and it's nothing that we haven't dealt with before, but we had two this time, which I think is is equally devastating. And the problem that is in in, in some cases or, or most cases, when they replace a guy, sometimes it's a, a person of equal level. So we just kind of go, all right, whatever. Like that guy will probably get the same amount of, of wins and losses or whatever as this guy was going to get anyway. So you know what? A pick for this guy counts as a pick for this guy. So whatever. Um, in this case, we have El Desperado out and Flip Gordon out. They're replaced by Doki. What is it? Doki and Ren Narita. So Doki, I, I don't know how the booking of him is going to go. We're going to see. We'll talk about that here in a bit. But Ren Narita is not going to get any wins. Ren Narita is going to lose every single match that he's in, right? Correct. Flip Gordon was not going to lose every single match he was going to be in. Correct. So it was completely unfair to just say, hey, if you picked Flip Gordon, fuck off. You're shit out of luck. It's going to count for Renderita. And anybody that pl- picked Flip Gordon, you know, those days prior that we had it, they're going to get losses for any Flip Gordon match. And, and, and many of the Flip Gordon matches, they probably were going to correctly predict. So in, instead of having 200 people or 200, whatever amount it was, I think it was somewhere around 200 when we first, you know, when, when the news came out here. Instead of saying, hey, 200 people, I'll resubmit your ballots and, and let me know if you're going to resubmit your ballots and I'll copy. Ma-. There was just a bunch of fucking back end shit that was going to have to happen to get that to work. All we're going to do is any match with Desperado, Flip Gordon, 
Doki or Ren Narita is just going to be a free point. So it's not going to matter if you picked Flip and 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 Ren Narita loses, or you picked El Desperado and and and, and Doki loses or whatever. We're just gonna you're just gonna get a free point for all those because it's the easiest way to go about it because it's just it's far too complicated and 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 I wish we could just say hey a pick for Flip is a a pick for Ren Narita, but to have a guy who I think was going to do pretty well get replaced by a guy who is not going to win a single match is not good. And that, that's not even counting for, for Desperado was going to be a major player in this tournament. You can look at the booking and look at the matches. I don't think Doki is going to be a major player. I could be wrong. They might just do a one and one because Gato doesn't want to fucking rebook everything. He might just have Doki do what El Desperado was going to do, but I highly doubt it. With two guys out, you pretty much have to rework the entire blocks and rework all the wins. So the easiest thing to do is you're just going to get free points for all of those guys. So it, it won't matter in the end. Like the point totals might be a little bit higher because every one of those guys is going to be fine but at least like it's not going to depend like you aren't going to win or lose the pick em game this year because you picked flip gordon you, you know what i mean or you picked eldest route or whatever all those things are going to be equal you're all going to get free points so um still plenty of time to join obviously it, it, it you can join until the first night of the tournament uh which is on monday but uh yeah just keep in mind i have replaced the names and everything as well but anybody that um that pick those people, you're going to get free points. And I, I have personally reached out to anybody who had Desperado or Flip as a winner of their block or runner-up. I've reached out to them and said, okay, who do you want to replace him with? Which is only like 40 names, so that's not too bad to do versus having 200 people redo all their ballots. I didn't really feel <laughs> like I really wanted to do that. So uh, it's a lot easier. And if, if you are one of those people and I haven't reached out to you, just let me know. Uh, just contact us on Twitter or whatever, at Voices Wrestling. Just let us know, and I will I'll offer you the chance to switch out Desperado or Flip if you had them in the block, um, it, whether the winner or runner-up, or you had them winning the entire best of the Super Juniors. But I would first off ask, what is wrong with you if you had either Flip Gordon or Desperado winning best of the Super Juniors, but then you can replace it with whoever you want. So that's where we're going. It's a giant fucking disaster. Hopefully nobody else backs out, or I'm just going to delete the whole game. So Okay, so with that sorted out, the bigger problem here, and you alluded to it, I do think that the entire B block requires complete rebooking. Um, because like you said, Renderita is not going to win a single match. Dookie, I would presume, is not going to win more than two or three matches. And even if he does win five or six matches, you still have one guy coming in here who has to lose all his matches. Flip Gordon was going to have a record of around 500 or better. Right. And Desperado was going to have a record of around 500 or better. So the entire block has to be rebooked. And if you look at the final night of the B block, Phantasmo was facing El Desperado. That, without question, was a match that was going to help determine the winner of the block. The only other match on that final night in the B block uh, that I you know, figure uh, was going to be a block decider was Taguchi and Osprey. So, you know, I, I don't think uh, Yo and Robbie Eagles was going to be consequential. Uh, Rocky Romero is not going to be in the mix. He's facing Bandito. And Flip Gordon Bushi just screams to me like two guys who were going to be eliminated at that point, too. So, you know, now Desperado is replaced in that match, you know, by by uh, by Dookie. Uh, you know, you got to rebook the whole thing. I mean, that's one of the key matches of the entire tournament. So the whole B block is being rebooked. There's no question about it. Uh, Flip Gordon and Desperado, look, they're major hits. And, you know, Desperado had a great tournament last year. And he was in positioned in a great block to have another great tournament this year. And Flip Gordon, say what you want. I know some people don't like him. He was in the right block to have good matches. Um, he had, you know, is the other thing. He was main eventing one of the Corkin shows with Will Ospreay. So these are two major losses in terms of how the tournament was laid out and how things were booked. 
And uh, Flip Gordon had matches on the table with Will Ospreay, Bandito, Fantasmo, Robbie Eagles, uh, Desperado, guys that he, you know, uh, could work his style and have good matches against. So um, these are two pretty big losses. They were both in the same block. And I think the whole block has to be rebooked at the last minute. I think there's no way around it. So um, that's where we're at. And, and I think that I don't think either guy was going to win the block, but I do think that, um, you know, Desperado was going to be a major player going into the final night. Yeah. So that, that puts a lot of, of, of wrinkle in there and, and, and yeah, it's just, uh, man, I feel bad for Kato right now, man. Can you imagine just the, the, especially a few days out here and, and, and like I said, in, in prior tournaments, I remember there was one year where, where Kota Bushi was out and I forget who they replaced him with, but it was somebody where you're like, all right, that guy's going to maybe lose like one match different than, than, than Kota was going to win. But this is like two dudes that, that presumably were going to go 500, or as you said, maybe even a little bit better replaced by guys that one that will not win a single match. Cause he can't win a single match. And then a guy who, who the fuck knows, but you also can't have have you know donkey come in here and just dominate the you know he's not going to get five or six wins he's probably you know you can't in good conscience have just this random ass dude come in here and start you know beating all your your, your juniors so um yeah it, it's that whole thing got it has to get ripped up and it's already hard enough and it's already a, a bunch of maneuvering and, and especially to have it happen after the schedule's out we're now like you have these weird shows where it's like, all right, who the fuck is like you mentioned the Flip Gordon Will Osprey match? Like, who's you know, like that 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 changes the whole dynamics of who's main eventing that and what what the main. Yeah. So it it's it's a pretty big disaster. Uh, so this closely to the, the the Super Juniors kicking off. So it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, two main events that get ripped up because Osprey was main eventing with Desperado in one of the. Um, oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, it does. I mean, that's the thing with Desperado too. I think people forget. I mean, he is a push junior you know i think we kind of forget that about him but but around this tournament time he is a guy that they definitely put in pretty big spots and now he yeah he's just completely gone and replaced was, by you know a guy Will that looks Os- like he needs a shower afterwards we'll talk about doki here in a bit but uh osprey desperado was a main event in osaka so not even some you know random ass town in the middle of nowhere and like we said the osprey flip gordon well that was a cork and hall main event so um osprey renderita will not be so I don't know what they're going to put in that spot. Um, Robbie Eagles, Desperado was the other match that gets changed. So maybe I'm looking at it. Um, I don't know where you go. You've got Tiger Mask versus Show. You've got <laughs> Marty Skrull versus Kanemaru. All right, here you go. It, maybe it'll be Taguchi Bandito. Uh, probably. Yeah. I'll give you the rest, though. I'll give you the rest. Shingo Taka. Mm. Uh, Yo versus Bushi. Nah. Gresham Ishimori. Romero Fantasmo. Mm. And Dragon Lee Teton. Do they go Lucha maybe? Oh, they could. They really could. You know what I mean? Like that that one they or could, the, who's the tight? It was Ishimori and, and Gresham, you said? Yeah, it's not gonna be a main event, Nah, that doesn't yeah, that doesn't quite work. I, I wasn't sure if it was Gresham. Lee, or, yeah. They go Lee Teton. Lee's the champ. Or you can go, I think you I go I the think champ. That, Taguchi Bandito, maybe. Um, but yeah, so you lose your main event there. And then in Osaka, it was Osprey Desperado. The other matches there were Bandito, Robbie Eagles, Yo versus Flip, which obviously is going to be Yo versus Narita. Uh, Romero versus Bushi, and Taguchi versus Phantasma. I think he just moved Taguchi Phantasma into the main event spot. That one's pretty easy, I think. Um, but yeah, so there's even stuff like that where just card placement, and that's another argument for Dragon Lee Teton. It was the semi-main event anyway, so I think you just move that to the main event, Corrigan. Um, I think that's what they'll do. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That's the uh, mess of the B block. Yeah. Uh, we should, we should quickly, we talked about all the, the entrance last week, but uh, real yeah. quick, here's a recap of the blocks. Uh, a block, Takamichinoku, Titan, uh, Kanemoro, Marty Scroll, uh, Jonathan Gresham, Show, Shingo Takagi, Dragon Lee, Taiji Ishimori, and Tiger Mask 4. So that is your A block. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? We got our grime to an extent. We, we got, you know, obviously, I want Kanemoro and Gresham and Taka in the same block and, and Tiger Mask. We did get that. So I'm excited about that. Uh, you do get your show and Shingo in the same block. We, we maybe alluded to last week that maybe you could get those guys into the final together. That is not going to happen there in the same block. Uh, and Dragon Lee and Ishimura in that block as well. So they're kind of, you know, your, your high flyers, your dynamic guys in a block with, with a fair amount of grime in it as well. No, I mean, I think these blocks, they had the same idea you had. Because that really is the grapple block where you have Tiger Mask and show and uh, Jonathan Gresham and Kanemaru and Taka. And um, they broke it down basically how you suggested last week. And then on the other side, you have Will Ospreay and Flip Gordon and and, um, and Phantasmo and Robbie Eagles. And they pretty much followed it to a T. I mean, you can make a switch here or there. Um, but, you know, I like how the blocks had come out. I thought they were perfectly set up to give most of the people who matter the best possible matches that they could have. So I really liked the blocks when they were announced. You know, you can't control Desperado breaking his jaw. And something happened with the visa with Flip Gordon. So, you know, that block kind of got blown up from that perspective and lost, you know, pretty two pretty decent guys. But the A block should be a lot of fun because even some of the bottom feeder matches in terms of guys who aren't going to contend to win the block should be fun. Because you've got Taka Mishinoku paired up with people like Jonathan Gresham and, and Tiger Mask, and Gresham's going to wrestle Tiger Mask, and Kanemoru's going to wrestle those guys. So even though none of those guys are going to figure into the winning the actual block, they, they'll have entertaining matches against each other because they really did a good job matching people up uh, style-wise. And like you said, we're getting the Shingo Show match, night one semi-main event, right off the bat. And uh, we're also getting Dragon Lee Ishimori um, rematch right off the bat. So they did a great job. And then you had Will Ospreay. They got him in there with Phantasma, which you had to do. And the match I want to make sure that we got, they got him in there with Robbie Eagles. Yeah, I was worried about because I thought they would split up Phantasma and Eagles. But they didn't do that. So Will will be in there with Eagles. He will be in there with Phantasma. And he will be in there with Bandito. Rich, I have no complaints. I thought they did a tremendous job from that perspective. I think so, too. And I think what's cool, too, and that's what the reason I wanted the blocks to feel different, because I feel like every night now, especially with the best of the Super Juniors, sometimes it can get kind of like, it all sounds good, and then like you're in like night seven of like, and it's just like a mishmash. And I, I you know, sometimes I like sitting down and going, all right, cool. B-block time. Let's have some flips. You know what I mean? This is going to be all the guys going nuts and doing high flying. Okay, A-block time. A little bit more grounded. A little bit more, you know. I, you know. It's, so I like the idea that on those split shows, when it's all A-block or all B-block, that you're going to get very different. You know, in, in, in most cases, there are still going to be some of your high fly matches. We mentioned Dragon Lee and, and, and Ishimura in the A-block. But, like, for the most part, yeah, all your kind of flippy dudes are in, in the B-block. I should give it a list there. Uh, Robbie Eagles. Uh, it was going to be Flip Gordon. Of course, that will be Red Narita, which I think he'll fit in fine with this block. Hey, listen. Uh, Red Narita is going to have a bunch of really cool matches. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be really Cool. Good. Good opportunity for him. For the sure. problem is you're you're bringing in a guy who everyone knows is going to lose every match. That's the only problem with Ren Narita. Maybe he beats this Dookie because he's an outsider. That's the only match he even has a a, a fathom of a chance to win. But he's going to have good matches and he's going to show fire. 
and and I think he will be one of the highlights every night of the block. But go ahead. But then, uh, uh, so of course, El Desperado was in that block too. That is going to be replaced by Doki. So that is gone. Uh, Bandito, El Fantasmo, Will Ospreay, Bushi, Taguchi, Yo, and Rocky Romero. So that is a pretty fun uh, uh, difference of the blocks there. I think the A block probably peaks maybe a little higher in terms of like your shows, your Shingo Takagi's, your Dragon Lee's, your Ishimori's. But I feel like every, almost every combination in that B block, I'm pretty excited for. Your Taguchi <laughs> matches are like, eh, but like he delivers in this tournament, so I can't lie. So, but, but like if I scratch him out, I mean, pretty much everybody else. I mean, Eagles, Phantasmo, Osprey, Bushi, Yo, and Rocky Romero, and 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 what and Bandito or whatever. That's a pretty fun matchup that's going to happen with all those guys. So I'm really excited to see the B block. Taguchi, I look at this and I'm like, I really wish he just wouldn't be in these tournaments anymore. But with that said, he always delivers two or three times where he has you know one of the better matches of the tournament. And I'm dragged kicking and screaming into admitting that I like the matches. So. It's like I can't stand him or his gimmick, but he's going to deliver. Um, the guy that probably can go away now is Rocky Romero. Yeah. Well, he just how, he just came back. You can't have him go away again, can you? I don't know how many more years we need him in these things. He's pretty much half a manager anyway. Um, you know, it, it's like I can do without Rocky Romero and Taguchi, to be honest with you, moving forward. Um, I think if this were not a 20-man tournament, I don't know that – I think Romero might be the first guy cut in that block if you're cutting two guys um, who may not have been in it. Um, you know, so I thought the blocks were very even before we lost Flip and Despy. Now I give an edge to the A block. Um, I don't know anything about Dookie. I guess I can't do this show anymore if we're going by the – Yeah, call Jeez, come on. Well, Man, it, I, it, I believe it's Doki. I believe it's Doki. So well, I'm calling him Dookie because okay. it's fun. <laughs> and, I, and I am a child, and I'm going to call him Duke. Uh, oh, I wanted to mention this. Uh, do you uh, know anything about? Uh, uh, I think it's Doki. I believe it's, uh, or maybe it's Dookie. Uh, Dookie Dookie Panic, uh, the video game. Do you know anything about that? No. You ever heard of the tale of Dookie uh, of Dookie Dookie Panic, or no? No. Have you ever played Super Mario Brothers Two? Yes. Okay. Have you noticed that it's very different than all the other Super Mario Brothers? Yes. You're picking up like radishes and throwing them at people and shit. Yes. It doesn't make right. any goddamn sense. As a kid, I was just like, this doesn't make any sense, but whatever. It's fine. Like, and then Super Mario Brothers 3 was right back to what Super Mario Brothers 1 was, right? Very similar, yes. Right. Well, so what it was is that they initially wanted to roll out the Super Mario Brothers 2, which was very similar to Super Mario Brothers 1. It was just a lot harder. Well, when they brought it to Nintendo of America, they said this game is way too hard. Americans are not going to be able to play this game. They're going to hate this game. So they basically shelved that. And then needed a Super Mario Brothers 2, so they found this Doki Doki Panic game and basically reskinned it. It was like a, an Indian guy. It was very bizarre. Like, if you can look it up, if you want, they basically reskinned it with Mario characters. And that's why you have the ability to be four different characters as well. Because in Doki Doki Panic, you were able to be a family. You could be the, the, the mother, or the father, or like the two kids or whatever. So when they redid it, you were able to be like, you know, Princess Peach and, and Luigi and Toad or whatever the hell it was uh, for Super Mario Brothers 2. But that's why that game is so fucking bizarre. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers 2. And you're picking up radishes and throwing them at shit. And you're like, what the fuck? This doesn't make any sense. And then when you got Super Mario Brothers 3, it was right back to what Super Mario Brothers 1 was. So uh, that reminds me when everybody says Doki, that kind of reminds me of Doki Doki uh, Panic. But there you go. That's my nerd uh, aside for a minute. So, Well, to, to roll that into wrestling, it's very simple <laughs> to the... Uh very similar to the world championship wrestling Nintendo game, which basically they took a Japanese game. And like you said, reskinned it, which is why Ric Flair doesn't use the figure four. And <laughs> right, right. But, but they managed to pair up like, like they made like Ricky Choshu became sting. So they both used the scorpion Deathlock, Right. And a lot of them, they were able to just seamlessly convert them. 
but some some people didn't match up. So like Rick, there's no figure four in the game, but you have Ric Flair, and like his finish is like a pile driver or something, which is you know absurd. But uh, same concept. So it's not unusual for them to take video games, uh, you know, and just and just like you say, reskin them and uh, and put a fresh coat of paint on for the different market. I never knew that about Super Mario Brothers two. Yeah, that explains. I mean, I, I, it was I was pretty old when I figured that out. Obviously, as a kid, I'm just playing it like this is weird. But okay, I'll I'll throw radishes at these goombas and figure out what's going on. But uh, that's why. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty fun thing there. So I, anytime anybody says says Doki or, or, or Dookie or whatever, I, I always think of uh, of that game. So um, yeah, there we go. So yeah, we don't know anything about <laughs> Doki. So um, I was always like, why did they put Michael Hayes in the World Championship Wrestling? <laughs> like, what little kid? It's gonna go. Oh, P- Michael P.S. Hayes! I can't Probably wait. Michael P.S. Hayes, and there was no Jimmy Garvin even, right? So you can't even like do the Freebirds. Yeah, the lineup. The lineup is pretty terrible for that game. So you got Ric Flair, who doesn't do the figure four, as you said. Right. Uh, Sting, Lex Luger, Mike Rotundo, uh, right. Rotoware Hawk, Rotoware Animal. Those guys they were able to carry over from that Superstar for Wrestling game. So that's a good reason for them. Uh, Steve Williams, Kevin Sullivan, Rick Steamboat, Rick Steiner, Eddie Gilbert, and Michael Hayes. Yeah, there's some guys there that no little kid is ever going to <laughs> Right, Eddie no Gilbert. Saying, yeah, give me hot stuff. I want yeah. to get Kevin Sullivan in a video game. You know, it was, you know, that, that was poor planning. I'm like, pretty sure half those dudes were not in the company by the time that game came out too, right? Like, I'm pretty sure Gilbert was already out. Uh, Hayes, may I, I want to say, because that game came nah, out he like, there. He was there. He was it, well, the game came out in mid-1999, I want to say, it was, or 1990. Oh. Was he still there? No, no, he was there. Not ninety nine. That would have been low. no, not ninety nine. I'm saying ninety, ninety. No, ninety. He was there. Yeah, yeah. He okay. he, there, he was doing the Freebirds thing with Garvin at that time. Okay, was Gilbert right. was gone though. I think at that time, but by ninety, he he didn't stay. Low. Yeah, like he came in eighty nine ish, and then well, he came out with the UWF thing. Yeah, he might have been gone by the time the game came out. Yeah, that's true. He, he definitely wasn't being pushed. Um, yeah, Kevin Sullivan. 90 i can't really remember but everybody used the fucking road warriors well, <laughs> why wouldn't you and it's like you didn't want to use flair because he didn't have the figure four and he wore long tight everyone had long tights that's yes. the other thing yeah. so it's like you don't want to use rick flair because you don't have any of his moves and it is the fucking long tights so you couldn't even use flair everyone just used the road warriors you sting because sting had the scorpion and and it's sting he's fucking cool you know it's like so it was either road warriors or sting at least in my neighborhood, that's who everybody wanted to use. It had things like uh, you could do like, but it's Japanese game, so it had like you'd pick a tag team. Of course, you pick the Road Warriors, and then you do like a block style fucking tag. Yeah, right. <laughs> it had a lot of cool stuff in it. So it was kind of it was a cool game, you know. And then it had a final boss that was very obviously the Andre. WCW Master, the WCW Master. Yeah, which was Andre, you know, with the single strap. What <laughs> what, no, get out of here. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, uh, I think they had him in a mask, though. I think they had him. Uh, I don't even know if they went that far. I think he was. Just, oh no, he was. He was in like the Strong Machine mask or whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, very similar idea with the with the reskin. But I played the fuck out of that game. Uh, you know, with the Road Warriors and Sting, of course, because nobody's using fucking Michael P. S. Hayes. But anyway, um, what were we talking about? Dookie. So. Uh, yeah, so that's the we were going over the blocks, right? So we were well, we're done with the blocks, and we kind of yeah. got to the dookie part or the doki part, and we we're just kind of like, I, I he lo, lo, looking at his picture, I kind of already feel like I need a shower. He's 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 pretty grimy, but I, I you know I kind of welcome the grind. I, I I think it's gonna be kind of interesting to see this like grimy 
you know, Japanese sleaze indie dude rolling around. I think he was in Mexico for, I mean, the Cubs fan had a really good, uh, at Lucha Blog, uh, had a really good sort of background to him. Also, uh, at Voice of Wrestling, we have uh, Andrew Rich did a huge preview for the, the, the Best of the Super Juniors, which you actually should check out uh, at voiceofwrestling.com. And he kind of dug in a little bit to, to Doki's career. But yeah, he's a guy who obviously is Japanese, but then found kind of a, a, a his his footing you know, in, in Mexico Indies and now is coming over here. So that's, uh, I don't know, man, it, it, it's, I, I kind of welcome the grime though. You, you know what I mean? Like I, I kind of like it. He needs to retroactively be moved to the A block though. I think that's where he belongs, but uh, I mean, I'll, I'll check it out. I'm, I'm interested in see how it goes. Well, I think he was trained by Ultimo, which is how he got to Mexico. He was a Toriumon guy for, for in the early 2000s. Yeah. So that's how he got to Mexico and they stuck around. I know he was a Kayantai Dojo guy for a while. And um, I guess this year he had made his way to Mishinoku Pro which, as you know, isn't exactly crack and tape no. <laughs> very often. So um, I know he worked the – didn't he just recently work the um, the Taka Taichi? Yes, yeah, he did that, that produce show. He was he was there for that one. So that's his – That is definitely on tape, and I know people saw him. He works all of the – he worked all of the Taka Taichi shows um, this year, which is obviously the connection and, and how they ended up booking him um, through Taka and Taichi. So – you know, we'll see. I, I, you know, we talked about it at the top. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know anything about him. I know nothing about this man. And um, I'm coming in with a clean slate. And he could surprise the shit out of all of us and have a really good tournament for yeah. all I know. So I don't have anything positive or negative to say about Dookie. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see Gato's either his, his recent calls or his text message strings as he's desperately trying to find somebody. And then just throws his hands up and says, all right. Taka, who do you want? <laughs> like, just pick a guy. I don't fucking care. It could be whoever. We just need somebody. Like, because you know he called and he tried. And and when you get to the the, the the Doki level, like that, that to a point is like that's Gato just saying, all right, I don't fucking. I just need a guy who's gonna show up. Like, if you can get me somebody who can show up and is tangentially a junior, I don't fucking care anymore. Just give me somebody, and that's how we end up with, with, with Doki. So I hope I hope he fucking kills it. It'd be pretty sweet. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about him either. So yeah. So um, I should note. Every night behind the paywall, I'm doing it again, Rich. Oh, you're a nutcase, but I like it. Daily best of the Super Junior audio updates. Every day that there's a tournament match, there will be an audio update. That'll be on the $5 tier, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. If you've never heard me do tournament updates behind the paywall before, it is, a, uh, as Jim Ross would say, a unique format, Rich, uh, <laughs> that I employ. When I do the reviews behind the paywall, every show opens with spoiler-free recommendations right at the top. So if you want to know what to watch without being spoiled, you can check out the show within the first five minutes. I tell you, listen, these are the matches you got to see or listen, none of it's worth watching. Save your time. I watch everything so you don't have to. Um, Then we review all of the matches. I assign star ratings to every match. I keep a running total of the top 10 matches of the tournament. We go over the standings and all of the scenarios every day. They're all very in-depth. They always get strong reviews, and it is a great way to keep up with the tournament. I've done it for G1s. I've done it for the Super Junior Tag League. My God, that was a mistake. And I'm now doing it for the best of the Super Junior. I would have done it for the Champion Carnival had it not started during WrestleMania weekend when I was in New York. Thankfully, I was saved of that torture. Because the first few days of that tournament would have had me wanting to uh, kill myself. And uh, I will do it for the best of the Super Juniors starting on the 13th. And that's a huge show which kicks off with Shingo Takagi and Sho, as we noted in the semi-main event. The match that everybody's been waiting for. Quite possibly the most anticipated match of the entire tournament. 
And then the main event is the rematch that we're going to talk about from Don Taku, which was Dragon Lee versus Taiji Ishimori. So a great way to start on the 13th. And uh, then we go from there. But uh, $5 tier, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. Yeah, it should be pretty good stuff there. So make sure you follow along. I know a lot of people enjoy the G1 uh, ones, uh, the World Tag League also as well. So that should be pretty good stuff. Patreon.com slash Voice of Wrestling or VoiceofWrestling.com slash Patreon, whichever you would like. So I mentioned uh, Andrew Rich's preview at VoicesOfWrestling.com. I think he had some pretty decent matches here. I, I kind of want to float these by you. Uh, his standout notable matches, matches to kind of put your eye on and, and, and ones to kind of look forward to. I think he nailed most of them. I don't know if you have some ones outside of here, but uh, the first two we mentioned was, of course, Shingo and Show. Uh, Dragon Lee versus Taiji Ishimori. Those are no-brainers on that first night. Those are meant to be huge deals. The rematch from Dontaku and then a feud that's been building up for for you know almost close to a month now between Shingo and, and Sho. So that one's pretty cool. Uh, the 15th, uh, we got Jonathan Gresham versus Taka Michinoku. So I think that's an interesting one as well. Kind of two technical masters going at it, two technical guys uh, going at it. One of the matches that I mentioned from last week that I just wanted to see. Like, well, oh, Go ahead, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were moving on to the next match. Go ahead. Uh, and then you have the 18th, uh, Shingo Takagi, uh, Kanemura. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, we're confused here. Uh, did you see? I thought you were going to talk about the Gresham Taka match, and I wanted to add something about the Gresham Taka match, but you are moving on to the next match. No, what I mean, I guess I could, I could talk. You want me to talk about Gresham Taka? No, I can I, talk I, about I, it. I thought, you said, <laughs> I thought you said I'm okay, Spider. No, I, I, I thought you were going to. I have something to say about Gresham and Taka as well. well go ahead, and say it. <laughs> but I, 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 I thought I was cutting you off and I was being polite. No, 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 no. But then you were moving on to to, to Shingo and and Kanemaru. I feel like Joe Pesci should be shooting one of us in the foot. Some <laughs> people will get that, others will not. Um, uh, okay, Gresham Taka. What I was going to say was, I think Gresham will be fired up for that match. Yes. So I think that's look. Taka's not going to win. And the other thing they did, I don't know if you noticed this, but Taka. Squ- Scored a fall at the end of the Dantaku tour. It's like they kind of build everyone up for super. When's mm-hmm. the last time that dude scored a fall? Literally a so year. I mean, I, if you read the New Japan ebook, I, I did his profile and I looked, and that dude did not. He didn't get a a, a a token pin. Somebody didn't get injured, and he just happened to be the guy in the ring. He didn't get a thing. That dude didn't get one pinfall, one submission, one countout all year last year. He fell, and he took every single fall, and that is amazing. And then, like you said, they gave him the fall here just to kind of say, all right, now he, he's ready. You know, he's, he's, he's primed for the Super Juniors, so pretty fun. Yes. All right. Uh, but, yeah, so that's you, one. You, you, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, no, it's fine. Oh, I was just gonna say last week that I, was one. <laughs> I was gonna stop talking. Just stop talking. <laughs> but that was uh, one uh, match last week that I said I was looking forward to actually seeing. So I'm glad they did that one. All right, now we can move on. Shigo Takaki versus Kanemaru on the 18th. Uh, Andrew says that these two have worked exceedingly well in the past together, and yeah, it could be a fun match. Uh, Shingo versus Kanemaru on the 18th. Are you looking forward to that one? Yes, <laughs> I had to make sure you were. I'm done. I'm finished done. talking. Yeah, no, I, I listen. Kanemura is my guy. I look forward to all of his matches because he's one of the most underappreciated juniors over the past decade in Japan. So, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to him against Shingo. See, I don't, I don't like him on the same level you do. I always try, but may, maybe this will be the tournament where I, I finally turn. Go forward, watch but... damn Destiny match against Kenta. No, I know and... that's good. That doesn't mean his 2019 matches are good. I agree that match is great. But, like, you always bring up these, like, matches from 10 years ago to say that Kenta was good. He's great in the tags. The last tour he was great. No, he, I know, I know. But then the singles get a little, I don't know, they get a little too whiskey heavy and, and too cheaty and stuff. I don't, I, I'm, I'll I'm. go in with, with, ex, uh, with high expectations. We'll see what happens. I hope. I hope, but I usually end up being disappointed by a singles match. Go watch the Kotero Suzuki match. <laughs> right, yeah, of course. Yeah, right, right, right. 
And they're great matches. <laughs> they are. I agree. They were 10 years ago. Maybe longer than that at this point, right? Wasn't that Destiny match? Uh, was that 05? The Destiny match was 05. But the Katero Suzuki matches were like, I don't know, 07 ish or something like that. <laughs> it's 2019, Joe. I understand that. But <laughs> <laughs> the man was clearly unmotivated in all Japan and Noah because why wouldn't he be? Right. Okay. He's doing much better work now. It just happens to all be, they don't give him singles matches. What do you well, want? Well, he's got a guy? great opportunity this whole tournament. Yes, we'll he see. does. All right, it's getting testy here. Then we're talking over each other. Now it's getting testy. All right, you should see him in the tags on that Dantaku tour against him and Liger. Have had tremendous chemistry in those tags. It's been he's done some great stuff. He was a tremendous uh, junior tag team champion. <laughs> yeah, he was. No, he did. He did great. He did. That. Yeah. yeah, he did. He did. I'll admit that. So. All right, so move on to 522 here. Will Ospreay versus El Phantasmo. That's one you mentioned a little bit earlier. A match that you almost really kind of have to have. And then you have Phantasmo who got the pin on the Dontaku Tour as well. Just another little ode there. So, uh, yeah, a match that you pretty much have to book. And I'm pretty excited to see it. I think Phantasmo, we'll talk about when we talk about Dontaku. You know, we kind of came in with like, ah, Jesus, is this the guy you really want to push? Is this really the guy you want to do? I think he did a great job with the rollout of Phantasmo. And I think he had a really, really good uh, Dontaku, you know, it, it, the match, you know, the tag match that we're going to talk about here in a little bit as well. So, I, you know, I'm hopeful. I, I think maybe this is a guy who who maybe rises to the occasion here and does a great job throughout this tournament and does a great job in New Japan. So I, I, I'm coming, op- uh, you know, I'm coming to it, you know, with, with a positive outlook, and and we'll see it. This is going to be a huge match for him as well. We know Osprey's going to go out of his way to make sure he looks good. So I'm excited about this one. Yeah, I'll save the phantasmal takes for when we talk about Dantaku. Um, but yeah, this match right here screams key tiebreaker match. Absolutely. Uh, move on to the 23rd here, Will Ospreay versus Bandito. Uh, of course, they had a uh, a match at the Russicon Super Show, uh, and now the match is going to be in front of Cork and Hall, so that's going to be fucking great. Yeah, the Super Show match, I was there live, obviously. Were you there? No, you were at something else, right? I was at, what the hell, what was, what day was that? Uh, I can't remember anymore. I think I was at, was I, I was, I think I was at DDT maybe, or no, what was that? I forget when the Super Show ran. I, WrestleMania weekend is a blur, man. I don't fucking know. Yeah, but um, it was more of a collection of spots. Uh, very dynamic, um, great stuff, and I expect them to uh, to tear the house down again. And they're in Corkin. They put this in Corkin on purpose, obviously. These and 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 Osprey understands what that means. And I mean, it's you know, I don't expect this to be anything less than great. Uh, other ones that we'll go over here: a Dragon Lee and Shingo from that same night, the five twenty three. Oh, I mean, oh, God, it's oh, Dragon God. Lee versus Shingo. Oh. I mean, Jesus Christ! I mean, come on. Jeez, that's gonna be so good. Dragon Lee's gonna do some crazy flip thing, and Shingo's gonna take his head off of the lariat. And God, I'm ready for it. So uh, that sounds great. Uh, Andrew also mentions Will Osprey versus Robbie Eagles. We talked about that last week. That was a match that had to happen on this tour. It would have been a disaster. We would have been. We would. I think you even said you were gonna come onto the show and 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 rant at Gato if he even thought about putting Robbie Eagles in a different block than Will Osprey. He didn't. Same block, a chance for these guys to have the rematch that they've had, or the, the what is it, the third now match that these guys have had. Um, should be. I mean, if you've seen the other matches, the, the great chemistry between these two guys, and this is a, a moment that we know what Will Ospreay, we know what motivates him. He is going to go out, and that match is going to be designed to make Robbie Eagles the biggest fucking star that he could possibly make him. So I cannot wait for that. These two dudes have incredible chemistry, and and this was a no-brainer. You had to book this match if you got the opportunity, and I'm so glad they did. Yeah, I would have turned heel on Gato forever if they didn't give us this. This is, uh, along with uh, Shingo and Show, the two matches that I wanted more than any other. Because I don't think Robbie Eagles has really had an opportunity to shine in New Japan. No, nah, not really. No. He's been in a lot of tags, and there's only so much you can do in the tags. And I think that, um, you know, for people who didn't see their two matches in Australia, their two match series, um, you know, both matches one year apart. Osprey won the first one. He put Eagles over in the second, uh, made him a star. Um, 
you know, tore off the little Japan flag from his belt and handed it to Eagles, symbolically saying, you've earned your way into New Japan. He got the guy booked into New Japan. And I've seen them have two matches that were damn, that were right there, damn near match of the year caliber level matches, you know, like four and three quarter star matches. And I know, provided they get the time and they have the opportunity, look, they're not going to get a half hour like they got, you know, in main event slots in Australia. But they get enough time, um, you know, these two guys, I've seen them do it. So I know that they could have one of the best matches overall in the tournament. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, it seems bold to say like this could be, you know, like you know, Will Ospreay versus, you know, Ricochet match of, of the day. But I, I don't think it's going to be that. But I think like people that watch it and people that really dive into to, to the best of the Super Junior, I think we might. There's a very good chance. Like if I was a betting man, I would bet that this is the match of the tournament. I don't know if it's going to be like that transcendent like match that's going to get into the mainstream, but but I have this one packed. I have this one circled. I have it started, whatever you want to say, as being a real potential for the match of the uh, of the tournament. I cannot wait for it to happen on the 26th. Well, the, the positioning is important, too. I mean, if you're not in the main event slot, it's less likely that you can steal the show. You can, but it's just less likely. So I don't think it's in a main event slot. So that, I don't that, think so either. Yeah, so they're going to be restricted on time. They're going and, to and I don't know if it'll be single, so. And I don't know if it'll be single cam. So we don't know any of those things yet. So a lot of those things can affect it, but we'll see. Uh, the 31st, show versus Jonathan Gresham. Again, another kind of grapple-heavy match. Uh, Andrew says here, if you love the grapple heavy show versus Kushida match from the best of super juniors last year, uh, this is one that to look for as well. So yeah, I think show and Jonathan Gresham could have some, some pretty fun chemistry on that one as well. Any other thoughts on, on, on that match show Kushida was the most overrated match in the tournament last year. I know that's going to annoy everybody, but I, that just didn't do anything for me. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we'll see, um, you know, Gresham, I think has been put in a position to have, uh, very good matches in his style with the way that the blocks were set up. So um, he doesn't have a lot of, uh, you know, weird, but he can, you know, he could work with flippy guys too. He could, he could. But I think I, what, 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 and that's an interesting point. I don't think we brought that up yet is they, they put him in a very good position here. He's in a perfect position yeah. where like you could have put him with all the flippy guys. And like, I, again, like I think he could have done, as you said, done well with those guys, but they have put him in a position where you can go out and have your style of matches, the matches that you excel in against guys that excel in that style. So they, they could have really dealt him a bad hand and throw him in a block with, you know, a bunch of dudes that, that he would have had to work towards their style. But instead it's like, you know, similarly styled guys are going to be in his block throughout. So I think that that's, that's cool. I, I don't know if it was hundred percent intentional or it just kind of happened, but I think that this is a guy that I think they think pretty highly of. So um, yeah, it, it's cool. It's a good spot. They really, they really did him a favor here uh, in a lot of ways, giving them like, you know, uh, similar guys, but also in that 31st, a match that God, I cannot wait for Shingo and Taiji Ishimori. Oh, potential a block winner decision match too, with that one. So that's going to have big ramifications. We know that one's going to have big ramifications, huge ramifications. Absolutely. Uh, and then on the third, we mentioned uh, another match here, uh, Taguchi and Will Ospreay. That has potential uh, B-block uh, decision. Because, uh, I, you know, a lot of people, and I guess now that we have the blocks, I suppose we can kind of give our, our, our sort of overall predictions. We're not going to go obviously match by match and do all that sort of stuff. But overall, you know, now we wondered if maybe it was going to be showing Shingo in the finals or, or what, what combination. I think to me, the chalk play, and, and I think the play most people are going to predict, is Shingo and Will Ospreay. And, and, and that's probably the prediction that I would make. It feels kind of lame because that seems like the most obvious, but sometimes the most obvious is the best plan. What what would you do uh, with these two blocks? Who do you have kind of emerging from both blocks? And then maybe ultimately, who do you have winning the entire uh, tournament? I mean, Shingo and Will Ospreay is, is, I think, you know, that's the chalk pick for the final. And I don't think that'd be a bad decision either. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to either or both of those guys going undefeated, going into that final. I would not be opposed to that. I think that, um, you know, it, it's it's 
Will Ospreay, if he is indeed moving to heavyweight and if he's going to be in the G1, he can't lose a lot of matches. He can't. They're not going to have him go, you know, five and four and then put him in a G1. I mean, he has to win most or all of his matches. I think he could lose a final. I think he could lose a one-off to someone who's uh, uh, really highly slotted in the company. But when you look at the B block two, who is he really going to lose to? You know, especially considering that they're presumably moving him up. There's not a lot of names there that can beat Willow Spray. So I think it's possible he goes undefeated, and I don't think it would be a bad decision. Same thing with Shingo. He's yet to drop a fall. Um, it, it wouldn't bother me at all if he ran the table. I, you know, I've said that. I, I, I think I, I talked about it on uh, one of the Q and A's. And if I'm, I, I have Shingo go undefeated. I think you make him that much of a dominant. Because I yeah. think then when he's going to move up to heavyweight, because that, that's the long term play here. We we know that you know that we've been saying it since the moment he came into this company. He's not a junior. <laughs> he's not going to be a junior forever. He's now a we have, and then we have pretty good evidence that he's been drawing that he's a draw too. Right, this, right. So. so that that was this is a holding pattern until they're ready to move him up. I say you just have him blitz through the block. He beats Will Osprey. He wins the title whenever he, you know whenever he gets the title shot. And then whenever he loses it, that's kind of it for, for Shingo in the junior division. He's proven all he needs to prove. He blitzed through the best of the super juniors. He won the title. He lost it. Okay, now he's ready to kind of move up and, and move up the ladder, and he leaves the juniors behind. Like, And I don't think that's – you know, some people might say, oh, that's burying all the juniors, but I think you're saying that this guy and, – and they've done it – he hasn't lost yet. <laughs> like He keeps winning, so it's not like you're doing anything different than you've been doing. I think it just proves, and, and it lets you build up this main roster heavyweight star by saying, oh, this guy, this guy is in – the small pond and he's not that he's a big fit he needs to be out of here, this and needs to be going doing heavyweight stuff and i don't think the way that the hierarchy works in new japan i think a lot of people you know forget that when they get angry about that but the hierarchy is that heavyweights beat juniors i mean that's just the way they've done it and if you're saying that this is a heavyweight that's sort of playing around in the junior division right now i don't think it's really an offensive thing to have him just blitz through all these guys and win all the matches like i i don't i don't hate that and i think it's actually a better plan than than anything the burial argument's a dumb one I just push your stars. Um, I'm never opposed to just pushing your stars. And who's it really burying? I mean, right? Teton will be okay. <laughs> you know, what I mean, Kanemura will be okay. Yeah, like Tiger yeah, Mask will be fine. <laughs> like, most of the guys are inconsequential. And okay, so who are you talking about? You'd be talking about in this case, you're talking about uh, Dragon Lee and Taiji Ishimori. Right. That's who you're talking about. They'll be okay if they lose a best of Super Juniors master Shingo Takagi especially if you're pushing the guy to the moon. The thing about it is I see more potential losses for Shingo in his block than I do for Will in his. Shingo could absolutely lose to show on the first night. Okay. Would I do it that way? I would not. I would have Shingo continue to beat show like a drum for years and build a big junior singles match between those two guys. I don't have show come out and beat him on night one. Could it happen though? It can Dragon Lee can beat anyone because he's the champion. So, of course, Dragon Lee can beat Shingo. And I think Taiji Ishimori can beat Shingo on the final night, depending on what they're going to do in terms of who's going to win the block. So he's got three potential losses there, assuming he beats everyone else. Uh, The way he's been pushed, I don't see him as someone who's going to lose a flukish match to a Tiger Mask or a Teton for the sake of, uh, you know, working points out. I just don't see that in his case, but I think he can lose to any of those three. You look at the B block, who can Will Ospreay realistically lose to? Rich, I don't see anyone. I think think Eagles is one that if you want to just kind of give someone a win and you want to kind of... But here's the thing with Eagles. I think they have him slotted below... Oh, absolutely. 
they have him slotted below Phantasmo in his own group. Right. I'm sure Will Osprey says, no, I want to lose to Robbie. And they're probably like, no, Will, that's not how it's going to work, buddy. Like, and again, it, this is a guy who we've seen win the never open. We've seen him kind of not necessarily full on move to heavyweight, but sort of tease the move to heavyweight or actually maybe in, in, in some ways do the move to heavyweight. So I, I, again, like if you talk about this hierarchy thing, I, I'd be fine with both of those guys who are essentially heavyweights in the junior division now just winning all their matches. Like, I don't think that's that crazy. Like, I wouldn't mind that. I really wouldn't mind that if both those guys go in and then you have these two Titans, you know, facing off after undefeated blocks or whatever. I They're probably not going to do that. I'm sure they're going to take at least one or two win uh, losses, I should say, throughout the tournament. But the way I book it is, you know, instead of the one token loss, just have these guys win. Have these guys win out. I don't think anybody loses anything. And you present these two dudes as, like, the biggest deals in this junior division, the biggest deals, and, and, and they're main eventing a, a, a big-time match between these two guys, and, and, and it just plant seeds for when these guys are eventually heavyweight and you want to go back to that match eventually. So I think it makes all the sense in the world to just have them go. I mean, you're, you're probably going to eat a loss here and there, but I, I, I don't like you're saying, I don't know that there's an argument to be made that Will Ospreay should be losing to any of these guys. And I don't think there's an argument to be made that Shingo needs to lose to any of these guys either. So I listen, can Osprey lose to Phantasmo? Sure. But again, I have him lose to him twice in a row. Um, I don't think they're going to, I think he gets his win back there. The other, the only other guy to me, that can beat Osprey is Taguchi on the final night. Taguchi can beat anyone. Um, it's Taguchi. He's been there a million years. He's uh, highly respected. I could see him losing to Taguchi. I think losing to anyone else would be weird because um, it's not a strong block in terms of star power. So um, I just think there's more potential L's there with Shingo. I-, I would not get cute with this. I would do a Shingo Will Osprey final. I wouldn't fuck around with either, with those things. Those are the two guys. Those are your stars. Push them hard. Send them to the final against each other in Sumo Hall. You need big matches for that show anyway. I think they put Tanahashi White on that show, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'd have to double check that. But at any rate, I think you need a, a strong final too. Uh, and that's as strong a final as possible. And then, uh, yeah, I, I have Shingo win that match. I, I don't think it hurts... Osprey, as long as he at least gets to a final, especially if he gets to a final undefeated, I think he can lose to a guy who's going to be a monster star. Absolutely. So I don't think that's a big deal at all. Um, And I would have Shingo win the whole thing. And Shingo running the table, beating Dragon Lee along the way, beating Ishimori along the way, and beating Will Osprey in the final, you can't push a guy any harder than that. And if you want to make stars, that's what you do. You have them beat other stars. That's what they did with Zack Sabre Jr. So I don't, you know, I would have no problem with it. Will they do that? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But um, I, it wouldn't bother me at all. I think that would be the most interesting way to book it. Honestly, is that both of those guys go undefeated, face each other in the final. All right, so that is, of course, our best of the Super Juniors. As I said, go to voiceofwrestling.com, read Andrew Rich's preview. Really good stuff there. We'll also have reviews uh, on voiceofwrestling.com throughout the tournament. And, of course, as Joe said, uh, voiceofwrestling.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. Daily updates as the shows are going on. Reviews. You have spoiler-free recommendations at the beginning of each episode. And then uh, Joe's review of each and every night of the best of the Super Juniors. So definitely want to check that out. $5 tier over at voiceofwrestling.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling, whichever you prefer. Uh, since we're on the topic of New Japan, do you want to go over these Dontaku uh, shows real quick? Yeah. So I think the big news with Dontaku, uh, we have to start with the attendance. Night one drew over 4,000 fans. 
Um, I've talked about this a little bit behind the paywall, but I want to talk about it with you a little bit. Um, when you're looking at same show comps, this show headlined by a junior title match, Dragon Lee defeating Taiji Ishimori in a match that people are raving about. We'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, with not a you know a ton of stuff underneath. I mean, you had Taichi versus Jeff Cobb, which I don't think anybody would call a big time drawing match in the semi main event slot. And then you had the uh, Evil and Sonata versus Okada and Tomohiro Ishii match, third from the top. And then away you go with a bunch of tags. Rich, this outdrew the show from last year, which was co-headlined by Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi singles matches. This is a huge win for New Japan. This is a huge win. Uh, for uh, how they've pushed their junior division. Uh, I already did my victory lap behind the paywall on that one, uh, which is actually a second victory lap because I did one last year on that as well. But uh, no reason not to rub it in. Wouldn't be Joe Lanza if I wasn't rubbing it in. Of course, yeah. Um, But, I mean, that's just, you know, look, we have to take an L, though. If we're going to take victory laps, we got to take Ls. And the next night, Okada versus Sonata. We said there's no way it would match Okada Tanahashi. And uh, look, it's it, it's time to acknowledge that Sonata, uh, part of the LIJ group, is a legitimate draw. This drew 50 less fans, which is nothing, which is essentially a flat attendance, than Okada Tanahashi did last year. So, And it was a match that people just saw in the New Japan Cup final. So, And, and if you watch the match, uh, it was a hot match. Fans were behind Sonata. Absolutely. Rang, yeah. Dueling chants. He came off like a star. So we got to take an L there. We didn't think that this show could match last year's show. Both of these shows shocked the hell out of me with how well they did at the gate. And it's just another tip of the cap to New Japan and uh, the tremendous mind of Gato, who continues to get it done year after year, uh, despite the fact that fools will continue to begrudge his booking. Uh, the guy, Look, the guy knows what he's doing. Okay, and and it's uh, they've successfully look rich the Dragon Lee Ishimori main event. I mean that took guts and unbelievably it outdrew the, the show from the year before, and they headlined another big show on this tour with a junior tag team title match. Rich junior tag team title matches were curtain jerker matches in New Japan on every single major show for years. They've got this junior division to the point. Well, they're able to headline two major shows on one tour with junior title matches. I mean, uh, you know, y- y- there's no way that you can't view this as an enormous positive in a year where they need as many different main events as possible to cover all of these shows that they're doing. They can now headline uh, successfully with confidence with junior matches. Rich, do you agree that that's huge? It is. It, it's gigantic. Yeah, it, it, to get the number that they got, the, the little over four thousand for for Dragon Lee and Taiji Ishimori is, is huge. And I think one of the things you mentioned as well about you know the, the Gato booking, and I think more than anything, is looking at you know the. the, the people leaving you, you know a uh, kenny omega leaves uh the young bucks leave you know your cody's leave your shinsuke nakamura's leave your aj styles leave. these are big guys these are guys that are push commodities big time deals and they just keep pushing forward they just keep pushing new guys new guys move up new main eventers are emerge uh, guys come like whatever it is like they're they're able to weather that storm and that is impressive a lot of other wrestling companies in the world either a haven't been able to do that in the past or today currently aren't able to do it where they are they're able to kind of not only you know, stay stay above water, but in some cases actually rise up 
from that, which I think is super, super impressive. And 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 yeah, having Lee Nishimori be the main event and draw as well as it did, and then also have the guts to to, to put a junior tag match, as you said, in the main event uh, of a big time show too, is, is is huge. But yeah, that that Dontaku night one, like even though it's like two thousand less people than night two, it is still all that much impressive that it's only two thousand less people with Taichi versus Jeff Cobb. And a junior tag match or a, a junior title match, you know what I mean? Like that is that's like an all time <laughs> accomplishment. If I'm them, even if it's even if it's two thousand less than the night prior or the night after, that's a huge accomplishment. Taichi and Jeff Cobb, Dragon Lee and Taiji Chimori, and they drew four thousand people and improved over the night one from last year. I mean that is that is awesome. Not just night, Kenny Omega and Koto Bushi singles matches, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So so I mean, and then you look at like you said, restocking the bench constantly. Yeah. After losing people, you'd never worry about it in this company. And just look, it's, it's a great transition to Sonata on night two. When, you know, uh, we told you or on this very show, I even correctly predicted it down to the fucking date when he came into the company in 2016. I said, this guy's coming in here and they are eventually going to make this guy a main event money drawing star and you're going to get it in 2019. And I specifically said the 2019 G1, but we're not going to haggle over a couple of months. They happened to do it in New Japan Cup instead of the G1, which is fine. I still nailed the year. Okay, They use this New Japan Cup now every year to elevate someone. We saw it last year with Zack Sabre Jr. Right. He ran that murderer's row, and they elevated him off of that. And then we saw it this year with Sonata, sending him to the finals, the tremendous match against Okada, and then coming back with the same match after Okada wins the title to headline Dantaku. And Sonata now is a guy who can reliably be counted on to main events. And I don't love the guy. There's a lot of things I don't like about him. But you can't question this now. It's drew the same amount of fans as Okada Tanahashi. And I get it. Okada Tanahashi, there's a little bit of diminishing returns there at that point in time. We talked about it last year. But it's still Okada. Still freaking Tanahashi and Okada. I mean, Jesus, yeah. And Sonata is now, I mean, you know, after that New Japan Cup uh, push, and I know people will say, oh, well, he had a title match. It's different. A lot of guys get one-off placeholder title matches. That's what it was last year. This year was a clear elevation of, of Sonata. He went to the final of the New Japan Cup against Okada, took him to the limit, and they've positioned Sonata as essentially being someone who's very close to Okada's equal. If you listen to the commentary, if you see you know how, how closely contested the matches are, and the story here is Okada is just a little bit better than this guy. But they've put him nearly on Okada's level with these two matches. So uh, we've seen the elevation of Sonata here, and, and, and that's what this company does. They lose people, and we just talked about it. We've got Will Ospreay and Shingo now waiting in the wings. Okay? See what happens. Maybe they lose a couple other stars. Maybe, you know, uh, people leave the company. Maybe you have an injury like you had with Shibata. It's okay. They have more people waiting on the bench. They always seem to. And that is truly the mark of a great booker, having people ready and creating stars. The name of the game is creating stars. And nobody has created stars over the last 10 years or so in wrestling like New Japan has. And the growth in the company is proof of that. And the most successful financial year in the history of the company last year is the proof of that. And they continue to grow this year. They're running two Tokyo Dome shows. And it's because they continue to create stars and have the ability to do that. So 
um, you know, these two shows, it's like, you know, this isn't Dominion. It's not Wrestle Kingdom. It's not a G1 final. It's just Dantaku. But when you really dig in and look at this, these are, this is a massive success, these two shows. And it really is a reflection of how well-booked the company is that they can have these kind of successes uh, on, on shows like this. All right. Uh, I do want to get to Dragon Gate before the show's over, so we'll yeah. try to run through these uh, Dontaku shows as quickly as we can so we don't uh, leave poor Dragon Gate out. <laughs> the we, don't do, we don't have to do the tags. We can just hit off on the major points on some of that stuff. Like we said, Takamishinoku scored a fall on uh, one of these shows. That was a big thing. But let's look at night one and just talk about the key stuff there. Uh, Dragon Lee, Taiji Ishimori. Taiji Ishimori uh, never uh, was pinned or submitted to lose his title. If you remember, Bandito took that fall in Madison Square Garden. So this was Dragon Lee defeating Taiji Ishimori and hammering home the fact that he is the junior champion. Uh, Dave Meltzer went four and a half on this. I went four and a quarter. This was a fantastic match. And the one thing I'll say about this match, Rich, is it was a chance for the juniors to work uh, a true main event match where they had time and they were able to uh, be patient with their work. And, and, you know, it wasn't third or fourth from the top and they had 12 minutes to just do their high spots. And I really appreciated the way that Lee and Ishimori structured this thing and they knocked it out of the park. And in particular, I felt good for Taiji Ishimori, who's been a guy in Japan for the last dozen years, who's been a top junior in the company. Uh, you know, He was with Noah during the, the good times. He was with Noah during the bad times. And he finally got a chance to headline a big-time show, top of the card, uh, stretch his legs, work 25 minutes, have the sole focus on him and his main event, and I thought they went out there and killed it. This was just a feel-good match for a million different reasons, and it delivered. What did you think of this? Yeah, so I, I'm a little under Dave. You know, Dave said four and a quarter. I know some people had it at like four and a quarter. Four. You know, I, I saw some match of the year type things. I was a little less than that. I, I was same as you four and, and four. I was four and a quarter uh, as well, which is anything again. I mean, that's still you know again. Why did you hate that match? You know, I really did enjoy. It. I just didn't think it reached that top top tier level. Uh, to me, and I, I, I like that they worked the main event style, but I think in one weird way, it's sort of because t- I was kind of expecting it to just, just be madness the entire time. These guys were just going to go out there and, and and do all this crazy stuff as quickly as possible and all that sort of stuff, which I was kind of looking forward to seeing that sort of match. And then I quickly realized it was not going to be that type of match. So it was going to be a little bit more slow and, and a little bit more deliberate. And I think by the end, I actually enjoyed the way that they structured the match because it was like a high spot and then they would sort of you know, take a bunch of time until they got to their next high spot. Like, so like you're saying, it wasn't that they had 15 minutes to just go and do all their shit and get out of there. They had, you know, 25 minutes to really space things out and to really kind of let things sink in at the same time. Like I maybe found myself a little more bored than I thought I would be for a dragon league Taiji Ishimori match. Cause I thought that they were just going to go balls to the wall the entire time. So that probably hurts it a little bit for me, but I understand that they were working in the confines of a main event slot. So this is something that's going to take some time for these guys. These guys are probably not used to having this, this amount of time to sort of structure a match. And I know Ishimori is, is, is a guy who's, who's had some of these matches before, but now he's got a chance, you know, on this show to, to, to stretch his, you know, spread his wings a little bit and, and have a longer match. And I think there were some times that were dull in the match and that's probably what docked it a little bit for me, but, but once it got going, and man, the final five to ten minutes were just awesome once those guys were going back and forth and really doing their stuff. So I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, maybe not as much as some others did, but uh, I'm excited to see if these guys get another shot at, at a main event because I think they would blow the doors off just having a little bit more comfort uh, with working 25 minutes as opposed to, as you said, like 15, you know, like it's usual. 
So Taichi wins the never open weight title from Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb also, by the way, lost the ROH TV title last night in Toronto in a four-way match where he did not take the fall. Shane Taylor pinned – he didn't pin Goto either. Who was the other person? Uh, oh, who was that? Sorry. Yeah, let me let me get the name here. I, I, I just watched it. He, he, uh, he pinned um, – wasn't Silas Young. It was uh, – Brody King? Did he pin Brody King? It's, it well, that, it had to be because if it wasn't yeah, Goto, it wasn't King. Cobb. Then it, then I don't it think King. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Cobb is now going gone from a double champion to no titles in a matter of time. Now, I see a lot of people complaining about Shane Taylor beating Jeff Cobb. I could tell you that by the way they did it, it came off very well. And then they had a stare down. If you remember, those guys had a great match on pay-per-view. Oh, so good. Yeah, the best Shane match of Taylor. Shane Taylor's entire life. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they clearly are setting up another singles rematch between those two guys. Uh, Cobb and Taylor because Cobb did not take the fall in that match. So I really don't mind Cobb losing the ROH TV title in that manner. They're still pushed. They Riccoboni still made a point of pushing him as being undefeated and all that. So um, I don't think he lost anything by losing that title. He'll probably win it right back. So um, no big deal there. And I don't mind him losing the never title here either to Taichi. I think uh, what happened here was they needed to get the never title off of Willow spray before super juniors. Uh, in case he has to do jobs or whatnot to to, to, to to some junior guys or whatever. So uh, Jeff Cobb was kind of, this is a transitional, this is the prime definition of a transitional champion. They didn't want Will Ospreay losing directly to Taichi. They didn't want him carrying that title through Super Juniors. So they used Jeff Cobb to get the title to Taichi. So I have no problem with this either. And this was a shockingly good match. I went four stars on this. This was as clean as it's going to get for a Taichi win. Um, which which I was also fine with. There were some shenanigans early, but he there didn't was a really lot of, There was a lot of shenanigans, I think. But they you know. were early, but they were early. Yeah, yeah. How he won the match, I don't think this was any kind of uh, – so that didn't bother me from that perspective, and I really like this. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a, um, um, a, a, a very good match and a very strong semi-main event. Yeah, I I, uh, I didn't like it as much as some others. Uh, I really wanted to because I because I like both guys and I was kind of interested in seeing how it went. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't. There was just a little too much Saichi bullshit for me, uh, and I don't think it was Jeff Cobb's best uh, performance either. So I, I'm yeah, I'm a little down. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of the nut shots and shenanigans and and the usual Taichi shit you're gonna get. At least it kind of, as you said, it was kind of um, clean towards the end. But yeah, it's still there was a little too much shenanigans for me. So uh, it annoyed me a little bit. So I, I was only about three stars with this one. I, I just didn't like it as much as some others. All right, so then we had, uh, let's see, we had Evil and Sonata uh, defeat Okada and Ishii. That, of course, was to help um, uh, put some heat on the Ishii-Evil match that was going to take place on uh, night two of Dantaku. Um, Yeah, you know, I thought uh, that was a good match. I'd probably put it three and a half, three and three quarters, somewhere in that range. Um, Didn't knock my socks off, but it was a strong match for that spot on the show. And then beyond that, it was just your usual collection of uh of tag matches do you have any thoughts on anything else or should we move on to night two let's go to night two yeah i think there's some stuff i want to talk about on night two and then i do we got to get to the dragon Dragon. stuff so (laughs) okay so night two okada sonata this match um did not uh knock my socks off at all um i i am below four on this probably three and a half somewhere in that range i thought the new japan cup final blew this away I think the New Japan Cup final was a significantly better match than this match. Um, it had good crowd heat. The fans were clearly behind Sonata. Everything worked in this match for me except the match itself. 
um, which I did not love and I thought was one of the weaker Okada title defenses maybe ever. What did you think of this? Oh, see, I don't think it was quite that bad. I went four and a quarter because I think there were some spots that I really, really enjoyed about it. I mean, the New Japan Cup, as you said, that, that one blew the doors off because that was those guys going back and forth, counters, 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 counters. This I enjoyed because I think it was a little less crazy, but the crowd was a little bit, I think, the, I mean, the crowd was awesome for this match. They were into Sonata, and and, and Okada was kind of playing off that a little bit as well. Sonata obviously was was getting, you know, uh, you know, some energy from that crowd as well. So I think the, the last, you know, I want to say the last half of the match, I really, really enjoyed it. It was very dull at some points, and, and that probably docks a little bit for me. I won't say the worst Okada defense, but it's definitely the lower tier, even if I have it four and a quarter, because you know his his you know Okada's output is so good and 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 so legendary that yeah four and a quarter is one that you can kind of look at and go oh yeah that's that's not quite there, um but yeah I, I don't know I liked it probably a little bit better than you but I I didn't love it um I think they've they've had better matches and we saw a better match you know a month ago so I'm trying to think of other Okada defenses you didn't like because I've pretty much loved all of them. You didn't love the leg match with Suzuki. Yeah, just a little too long in the tooth. Like I, I like the idea that they had, but it just kind of went. But that one I would that one I put lower just because but I, I it's one of those ones where I appreciate what they went for. I just didn't really like watching it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like describing the match sounds great, but like sitting there and watching 30 minutes of it, you're like, all right, all right. Well, See, and I was super into that match. I liked, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really, I didn't care for this match. I, well, this I think the, the problem that I had with this match is, and, and, you know, I, I watched semi unspoiled. I thought for sure these guys were going 60 because it felt like that pace, you know, up until 30 minutes. Or, you know or, what? That's a great point because I, what I was going to say was this was a 38 minute Okada match that felt like it. Mm-hmm. And his matches never mm-hmm. feel long to me. He had those matches with Omega, and I, I could still be watching them now. I mean, because they, they were so compelling. Right, this right. This was a 38-minute Okada match that felt every fucking minute of 38 minutes. I just, just And now, look, I don't think it was poorly worked. I think there were it was in slow motion at certain points. Just They didn't look like they were on the same page all the time. Like they, like they didn't. The New Japan Cup match I thought was great. Uh, this one, it just, I don't know. It just didn't. I, I can't think of an Okada title match that he's had that I liked less than this one. I think I even liked a lot of his singles matches against Fale better than this. So I, I don't know. Um, Rich liked it. I did not. Uh, what about Ishii versus evil? Oh my God. Oh, this match rocked. Oh, you just go watch this 23 minutes of just two bulls going at one another. Ishii is Ishii. What do we need to say about that? I think this was far and away the best evil match. I have ever seen in, in, for him in New Japan. This felt like home to him. Him against Ishii, him kind of like, I, I, I want evil now just in the never open weight mix. I want Sonata breaking off. I want Sonata doing whatever Sonata's going to do. I want evil in the never open weight mix. I want evil facing Ishii as many times as we can. I want evil versus Goto. I want that sort of stuff because I think he excelled at this. I mean, there were headbutts and, and fucking lariats and guys kicking out at one and guys getting dropped on their head and getting right back up. Like, this was just two bulls going at each other, man. God, I love this match. 23 minutes. And it felt like the opposite of the main event. You said that felt every bit of 38 minutes. This thing is 23 minutes. I, Joe, if you told me how long was this match, I would have said 15 minutes. I, it felt like it went by so quickly, uh, despite being the 23 minutes. I fucking love this match. I went four and a half with it. Um, I can maybe be convinced if I rewatched it to maybe go a little bit higher. 
but uh, I just don't think it maybe reached that level, but still just an awesome match. Just two warriors going at it. Just two guys just slapping the piss out of each other, chopping the hell out of each other. Lariats. Oh, I just fucking love this match. Felt very old school too. It felt very much like the e- either really old school new Japan, like your nineties, all Japan, or, or new Japan, or very much like that. Those never open weight matches we were seeing a few years ago when, even when Makabe was stepping up to the, the, the plate and doing it and your, your stuff with Shibata and, 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 and those sort of matches, it felt like that, like kind of, kind of that classic never open weight title match. But, but I really, really loved it. I have no idea on your opinion. You maybe hated it. Three matches in a row where we slightly disagree. What? I didn't love this. Oh, you're a fool. You're a damn fool. I thought it was very good. I liked it better than Okada. You didn't like this? Oh, my God. I'm, I'm amazed. It's not what I said, Rich. <laughs> you hated this match. I was watching this match, and I said, Joe is going to love this match. And now you come here on the air and say you hated this I match. I just I'm... said it was very good. <laughs> you hated it. Just admit it. Just admit you uh, hated it. It's fine. So I liked it better than Okada Sonata. I went four flat. But it didn't reach these match of the year level heights that I've seen other people uh, talk about it in. Um, I, I disagree in that it felt short. I, I, you know, the first half of the match, I wasn't all that engaged. Um, but I thought they really saved it with the closing stretch. I thought the closing stretch, not just the closing stretch, the back half of the match. Yeah, yeah, I really. Thought, yeah, this wasn't one of those matches where, you know, it's all closing stretch. It was the back half of the match. The first half of the match just didn't do a ton for me. Um, but, you know, the back half and the closing stretch were excellent. And that's, you know, what got it from. Uh, this is a you know three star special to this is a very good match um, to me, but it did not uh, go beyond that. Um, Dave Meltzer loved these two matches. He went four <laughs> and three quarters on the main event. I know. I don't get it all. Um, you know that because to me that's match of the year territory, and and Okada Sonata to me did not. But but listen, I think he went over five on the New Japan Cup match. Didn't he go like five and a half or something? I think he did, yeah. He, so he fucking loves these two guys. So this is, yeah, it, it is what it is. That's what ratings are. You know, if, if this was your, you know, that to you, then that's fine. But yeah, it wasn't to either of us, but I don't know. <laughs> I thought the Don Taku top stuff was a bunch of very good matches. If I had to rank out those four singles matches, I'd go with uh, Dragon Lee Ishimori number one. I'd go Ishii Evil number two. S- very slightly over Taichi Cobb. I think they're close. And then I would go Okada Sonata to me was was easily the fourth best of the four singles matches. I think that's a fun exercise. Where would you rank out the four singles matches? Oh, man. Okay. So I would probably have Ishii and Evil 1, Dragon Lee Ishimori 2, Okada Sonata 3, and then uh, uh, Taichi and, and, and Cobb fourth. Okay. Yeah, you, you liked, I think... As a whole, you liked all these matches more than I did, it sounds like. Because you liked the Okada Sonata match more than I did, and you liked uh Evil Ishii a lot more than I did. And uh we were the same on the junior match, and I preferred the, the Taichi Cobb match um uh to you, but uh but yeah, so that was the top stuff. I think the only other match we need to talk about on night two as we save some time for Dragon Gate. Because I mean, it's going well beyond shtick. If we if we miss it again, we no, we can't. We really cannot. We really want to talk about the show too. I watched I watched like a lot of the show. We can't we always do, it. and we never get to it. We got to get to it though. So uh, we got to talk about Phantasmo's debut. Uh, I think we have to talk about that. Rich, I thought he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, this is a guy that I've seen before, and I'm and I was never really that crazy about. I don't think he could have debuted any better. I mean, he not only came off looking like a star, he not only came off presented like a star. I thought he performed like a star. And um, he hit all of his big spots, 
And for a guy that I've never been blown away by, who I've kind of just thought was kind of just a guy, I, I, this is as, this is better than he's ever looked to me. And of course, he pinned Osprey uh, to set that whole thing up. To, that it, look, I, they're they are behind him. It's very clear that they're behind him, and he didn't let them down. I thought this was a tremendous debut. What'd you think of Phantasma? I loved it. Yeah, I think he, he and he's a guy who's never really jumped off the page for me either. But I think coming out with the jacket, he had a presence to him immediately, like I belong here presence. Like we talked about with Robbie Eagles when he came out and it took a little while for Eagles to feel comfortable. Chase Owens is a guy who it felt like it was going to be a while until he felt comfortable. And now he really does. Phantasmo came out and was like, boo, I own this place, baby. I'm here and get used to me. And it was like, holy shit. Okay. Like I, I not many people debut in New Japan with that sort of just like. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know the correct word to even say. Just that confidence, like that, that understanding that, like I'm here and I belong, and 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 I'm going to show you guys. And that was not. I mean, he came out with charisma. He came out with poise. Uh, he came out with you know, you know, confidence. And and it, it showed through the match too, where he really, I think, you know, didn't have to do a ton in that match to really impress. He just had to kind of do a, a few big spots, and he did those. And and I think he looked good in the match. And I think just more than anything, and the takeaway that I have is the presence that he had. He came out and felt like he belonged right from the beginning. And that's you know something that we we take for granted because not. A lot of guys do that. Ain't delivered, mm-hmm. you know. And, and we see the struggles that Mikey Nichols is having. Um, you know, coming back to New Japan, and, and Chase Owens is a great example. It took him several months. So yeah, it, it's 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 a lot of these guys. It does take a while. And I, again, I don't know if you could have scripted. It, it took him ten minutes, you know. And and he looked like he belonged. We'll see what kind of a Super Junior tournament he has. But um, he had to be pleased with that performance. Because uh, if he was nervous on the inside, it didn't show on the outside. I mean, he delivered. So uh, that was a great job by him. A tremendous debut. And I guess we have to talk briefly about the video of the uh, guy in the bar who's coming for Juice Robinson that they've been playing at uh, all of the shows. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Brooks seems to be the clubhouse leader in terms of people's opinions on who it is. Uh, Oka. Um, is is the uh, is a guy who a lot of people think because he's sort of uh, the great Okarn has disappeared. Rich, so a lot of people think that this could be Okarn coming back to the company and whatever you know gimmick he's going to undertake in New Japan. Those are the two most frequent uh, suspects that I've heard. I don't think Chris Brooks is a real good fit for that. No. Honestly, I mean it wouldn't surprise me if he's the guy because you know they have the Union Jack on the leather jacket and all that, so everyone assumes it's someone British. I don't think he's a great fit, and I don't know how well that'll work. Uh, Okarn is an interesting choice. I mean, the Union Jack would work since that's where his excursion was. Um, You know, he did a really weird, wacky gimmick when he was over there. This would be something completely different. Um, If you want to go completely – David Finley, I've seen – I've heard Finley, yeah. I I forget the the reason. There was something around the flag. Like, I don't know enough about the Union Jack between – what, what that's going on but i h- did hear a little bit of david finley which i think is is interesting because david finley did tweet out like right around the same time that the video came out that he got the bill of health for or, you know clean bill of health from his doctors about his shoulder so I, you know red herring i don't know but you know the possibility that could be him I mean, that makes sense they got a little bit of history as well the thing with the flag is he's from northern ireland so it's uk so the flag right. oh that's right that's what it was right, right. but but the, the counter to that is they've always pushed him as german in sort of New Japan canon. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. Yeah, you're right. So I, that's a little weird. The other thing is 
he got the sling off of his arm, but I don't know if he's been cleared the wrestle necessarily. But it would make sense if, you know, uh, as being the tag team partner of Juice, that maybe he's coming back. Maybe they see, okay, he was hurt. This is a good opportunity to press the reset on David Finley, bring him in with an actual push. So it's possible. I just don't think he's going to be back that quickly um, from this from this injury. Um, if you're looking outside the box, what do you think of Davy Boy Smith Jr.? Now, the gimmick would fit him, you know, as like a, you know, a tough guy gimmick. Killer Elite Squad is certainly long in the tooth. They haven't been around on the last couple of tours anyway. Um, the Union Jack thing obviously fits. They push him as British, as the son of Davy Boy Smith. Um, if Davy Boy Smith Jr. came out to uh, go nose to nose with Juice Robinson, how would you feel about that and a repackage of him? I'd be all into it because I think he's a guy who who and and we know he thinks this as well that is not being properly utilized to, to, to his fullest degree. So I I think it'd be pretty cool. I, I I'd welcome that opportunity for him to do that. I think it'd be a nice little change of of pace for him, and it would allow Archer to maybe do something different as well. Maybe it gets those guys out of the title. I think there's a lot of positives to it. I just I, I don't know. I wouldn't if I was a betting man. I, I don't have Davy Boy being. Uh, that that guy but i would be i'd be all for it i think he'd, he'd do well in the role and i think it'd be a pretty cool change of pace for him but uh i'd be shocked if, if it was him i think have you heard any other ideas do you have a <laughs> that's really it talk? yeah that that's the only ones i really heard is o- oka uh is is one that i remember that kind of originally chris brooks is the one that everybody kind of brought up right away i forget exactly why that all became this so that was the number one i mean then- i think it's because he works a lot of rev pro and he's british and mm-hmm. it just the connection's obvious but um you know, look, I, I would have to say he's the favorite at this point, even though I don't think it's a great fit or the best fit. Um, you know, you know, his buddy's there, Gresham's there now, and and he does work all the Rev Pro shows. There's an obvious connection. Um, look, I, I would consider him the favorite. I just personally, I'm not sure if it would work. Right, and 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 yeah, I just don't, I, I just don't like the fit. I, I think there's there's better ways to go. It so- strike me as like a bar brawler no nah, he, he's kind of just like he's gonna stick out like a sore thumb in new japan too like he's I, fine but ugh, I, don't I don't know if he can work to the stand yeah there's all that yeah there's um, oka is interesting because it's like if you've ever seen oka the idea of him being like a leather jacket bound like you know biker guy is is weird but you know i would have said the same thing about switchblade jay white and he's kind of growing into that too so i you know i'd be cool with the oka thing i think it'd be interesting and it, it, it's definitely time for him to sort of uh, kind of graduate, like you said, the great Okarn's been gone for a while. Um, so I like that idea because I think it'd be fun. And then I like the David Finley idea too. So I like a lot of the ideas of, except Chris Brooks. It's just the problem that Chris Brooks is probably the leader in the clubhouse, even though like pretty much the other three, you know, more prominent scenarios, I think I like a little bit better. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I I don't know that I, you know, if I was a betting man, I, I, I'm probably, ah, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't buy the the Brooks, I hate the Brooks thing. I just like, it's probably the winner, but I don't know. I just don't like it. It's weird. I, I really don't, can't think of anyone else. I mean, you can go way out of the box, like Rampage Brown or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. They do a I good mean, job. They do a good job of keeping the mystery though. That, that, you know, somebody said Josh Bodum. And I was like, you know, it's like, I would love to see him, you know, just fuck his way out of another locker room. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I would think that he'd be brought in as a, as a, as a junior. Um, if they were going to bring him in, but he has such a bad reputation and it just didn't, you know, the all Japan thing, I'm sure the new Japan people are more than familiar with how he got himself kicked out of that company. And when it looked like he was going to be pushed. So I don't think it'd be, but the rev pro connections there and all that. So I can see why people are bringing that up. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but a lot of times with these new Japan things, it's always the obvious one. 
and we don't want to accept that it's going to be the obvious one. Right. So that points to Chris Brooks. But um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. But that leaves us some time to get to uh, the Dragon Gate. Right. Probably not enough time, but that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. We got time. So let's see. We've got the uh, Dead or Alive, which is always the wacky cage gimmick this time of year. And they shot a bunch of uh, big angles during and after that match. First, let's blow through the undercard a little bit. We had uh, Dragon Dia, Jason Lee, uh, Kasuke Okuda, and Yuki Yoshioka uh, defeating uh, the natural vibes combination of Genki Horiguchi, Punch Tamanaga, Yashi, and Mandai Ryu, the problem dragon. Um, this was a nothing opener, and there's really nothing to digest here. Uh, and then we had Kness and, and Ryu Saito defeating Satchihoko Boy and Stalker Ichikawa. There was some uh, amusing Stalker comedy spots here. Outside of that, again, there's really not much to talk about. Uh, Stalker is my uh, favorite comedy wrestler, uh, probably of all time. He never he's great. Yeah, he's awesome. And uh, let's get uh, more into the uh, meat of the card here. We had Kaito Ashida and Masato Yoshino of Maximum. And they defeated Red of Benke and Eita. Now, um, the thing here was uh, Benke and Eita have been at each other's throats for the last several months. And they, uh, Benke, basically uh, abandoned Eita in this one. Eita was the one who took the fall. And that would be important for later. Yes. Okay. Uh, because Ben K and Ata have been having friction, and then uh, Ben K had enough of his shit, and he uh, had delivered the spear and left him for dead. And then Yoshino uh, scored the fall on Ata, and that was that. And that would play into what happened later on in the show. Next up, Rich, were the machines. Strong Machine F, Strong Machine G, uh, which I find hilarious that Cage Match does not have a link attached to it. <laughs> Who can they be? <laughs> they cannot figure out who those men are over the cage match. And of course, the youngster, Strong Machine J, which is the son of um, of Super Strong Machine, who I guess New Japan wasn't interested. You'd think he would have ended up there. Yeah, so from what I heard, so I asked a few people that, that, that had some knowledge of it, and they kind of said that he asked, hey, do you want my kid? And they kind of said, eh, and, they, and, and, and apparently Super Strong Machine said, all right, well, then I'm going to pursue other things. And they said, yeah, it's fine. Like, they were kind of just like, yeah, it's all right. We don't really... I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I wonder if it was the gimmick related or they saw the guy and they didn't really think much of him. I don't know what it was, but uh, apparently it's it kind of has New Japan's blessing. Like there's not heat over it, but I, I did find it interesting as well uh, that he's popped up in Dragon Gate. From what I've seen, the guy's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's pretty good. They beat uh, Kajitora, Kai, and Yasuke Santa Maria here. I love the machines thing. I love the I love the entrance music. I love the whole aesthetic. I love the nod to history. I love that he's his son. I love that you have the mysterious uh, uh, F and G. I still can't <laughs> who guys are. I'm I like I like the ode. I like the ode to the, the classic history there because like when when you know I first saw the names on there and I I, I did I you know I, I messaged Iron Mike Spears. This is the first time I had seen seen them. So I said, uh, "Hey, who are uh, who are the other Dragon Machine? You know, before or the, the other Super Machine. Before I you know watch the match, I just kind of want to know who they are." And he's like, "I I, I think you're gonna figure it out." And then they came yeah. out, and I was like, "Oh yeah, sorry. Like I, I get it. Like I did. It's the first time I had actually watched them." So I was just like, hey, just to get an idea, like, are these guys, you know, just, is this like some underground thing? And he's like, I, I think you'll get it. <laughs> uh, it didn't take long until I, I, I figured out who F and G were, but uh, still kind of cool that they nod to history. Similar to like, you know, Andre the Giant put on the hood and they're like, who, I don't know who this guy is. Who's this guy or, you know, strong, you know, whatever Hogan, I, I forget that he has strong machine one. 
was too. Machine, Hulk machine. Yeah, Hulk machine. He's got the Fu Manchu hanging out. It's like, I, I mean, who knows? It could be anybody at this point. So giant machine. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like that note in history where there's F and G, and it's like very clear who these guys are, but barely not clear to everybody. So that's yeah. I think it's I think it's an awesome gimmick. I think it's a great way to to integrate the uh, the new kid into the company, and and uh, I was all about it. So then we had the open the brave gate. So Sumo Yokozuka defeats UT. What did you think of this one? Um, oh, this was awesome, man! There tons of back and forth action. Like it was it was I was kind of a little distracted while I was watching this, so I kind of looked away for a little bit, and then like this match. It got my eye, and then the like the last like I, I'm serious. The last ten minutes, I think it was like thirteen minutes. The last ten minutes, I was glued watching these two guys go to work. This was awesome. I thought this is the best UT has ever looked. And, and Susumu, I mean, Jesus, he's he's great. But uh, UT really stood out to me because I think I there's times where I'm hot and cold on him, and I thought he was awesome in this match, even in defeat. It, it didn't matter. I think he really stood out to me. No, this is one of those matches we talk about where the guy gains something in losing. Yeah, it's better that he lost almost in a lot of ways, <laughs> interestingly enough. The way the match was laid out and the way the match was worked, it was just, you know, you have this veteran guy who's who's one of the most respected dudes in the company um, defending his title uh, against this uh, young upstart. Um, he's got every disadvantage and experience and size and, and, and ability, and he fought to the death until he could not fight anymore. And it's just amazing to see the rise of UT. Rich, this was a guy who not long ago was so forgotten that they just wouldn't even book him. And then when they did book him, he wasn't. they didn't even bother to put him in a unit. And then he had all kinds of injury problems. And you remember when he was just a forgotten man? You almost yeah. forgot he was there. You know, and, and he comes out, and, and I thought he was tremendous uh, in this match, especially for the structure of the match and his role in the match. And uh, this had me excited to see more UT and uh, Susumu Yokosuka, as I always say, is yeah, one of my one favorite. Of and, and when he, yeah, he is just so good and so smooth and really was a perfect guy to have this kind of match with this wrestler in this spot. And uh, this is neck and neck with one of the other matches we're going to talk about as my favorite match on the show. First, we had this triangle gate match, which was the uh, the, the red sleaze combination of Kazuma Sakamoto, <laughs> uh, uh, Cyber Kong, and Kanda. Uh, defeating uh, the Mocho, uh, the Mochizuki Dojo of uh, Masaki Mochizuki, of course, and two of his uh, young boys who are under his tutelage right now, Hyo Watanabe, uh, the young leopard, and uh, Kota Minora. And and look, you know, this wasn't very good. It had a very good closing stretch. And honestly, the standout of this match to me was Kazuma Sakamoto. I can't believe I was going to say the same. I was, I was shocked. I was like, he... And it wasn't like he was the standout because everybody else was terrible. I mean, it wasn't a good match, but I well, he was pretty damn good in this match. Two, his two partners are terrible. His two matches are, 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 are horrendous. Yeah, but he, he, was, Kanda, he was good. I, I've never liked Kanda. Kanda is such a waste. Nice I've never liked, I didn't like Kanda when he was 28. I don't like Kanda when he's 40. I just have no use for Kanda. He's just a guy. Uh, Cyber Kong is what he is. He has a good presence, but he's never going to be a good wrestler. And Cosmo Sakamoto was truly the standout, especially in the closing stretch of this match. I can't believe I'm saying it, but it's true. He was the best person in this match. And I'm not shocked that you agree. I mean, I think it was pretty obvious watching the match. He just, it, it, this worked. I don't know. Um, it worked for him. This wasn't a good match. I mean, this was like a two and a half, two and three quarter star match, but he killed it in the closing stretch. And then we had the, uh, I know we're running short on time. So uh, let's go to Dreamgate match. Pac defeats Dragon Kid. Um, this to me is neck and neck with the Yoka, uh, with the Yokozuka, uh, UT match, um, for match of the night. 
Rich, Pac just has a presence and an aura that no other world champion has right now. He's my favorite world champion to watch for that reason. He just, he just, you feel the utter disdain he has for every opponent and every human walking the earth, basically, uh, that he has. He just, he has an aura that no one else has. Right. And Absolutely. He's, he's a fucking prick and he's just awesome and he doesn't beat people, he maims them. He puts a, the finishing touches on these guys. I mean, you know, pile drivers from the top, falcon arrows from the top. Um, you know, he, he, he you know, it, it's always like, you know, a pile driver from the top and then like the, the, the red arrow or whatever to just put an emphatic fucking definitive finishing touch on these people. Dragon Kid, he's just whipping them around and slapping them around early in the match and not treating them seriously and not taking them seriously and then. Uh, you know, Dragon Kid, the veteran, coming back, and then Pac just putting him away with such disdain. I just love watching Pac. He's my favorite world champion to watch. He's in the conversation for Wrestler of the Year. He completely turned around both the fortunes of this company and just the general aura of the company in general. And um, I have nothing but praise to throw at this man. What did you think of this match? I, I, I loved it as well. I think it's the best you can get out of Dragon Kid uh, in 2019. I think there were some spots where he really looked good and there were some hope spots. But ultimately, the fans knew that it was just like a, a, in due time, Bach was just going to put this asshole away and really drive it into him. Like you said, does like, you know, spinning pile drivers. He does a pile driver off the top rope. I mean, there was a power bomb that he threw in this match that was like the sickest power bomb. I, he just got Dragon Kid up and just fucking laid him into the mat. Just pancaked yeah. him in the mat. I was like, oh my god. Like It just took me back. And, and one thing that you mentioned, we talk all the time about how you and I just, we, we want wrestling that's just not bullshit. We just want guys that want to just go out and beat the other guy. And, and Pac is, is, and I think that's why in Dragon Gate, you're so attracted to Pac and I am as well, is because this is a guy who, who doesn't even want to stand for his national anthem. They're playing his anthem and he's just sitting there scowling going like, come on, enough with this shit. I just want to get this match going. Like, this guy can't even sit and enjoy his own national anthem being played. He's just sitting there, and you can see he's, like, bending his neck, and he's scowling, and he's just like, get this shit over with. Let's get to the goddamn match so I can beat the fuck out of this dude. And it's like, yes, that's wrestling. That's the wrestling that you and I want. Just no, just a dude who wants to go in there and prove he's better than the other guy. And this and, and Pac just nails it right now. And not only prove that he's the better guy, but really fucking prove he's the better guy. You know what I mean? Just be a total asshole to say, look, this is how much better I am than you are. I, I I think it's awesome. And yeah, he's, he said that aura is different and, and, and just the offense is different and just everything about him is incredible in Dragon Gate. I love it. So then we had the traditional uh, uh, cage match five way. In this case, uh, five different representatives of the five different units. We had KZ, Naruki Doi, Shun Skywalker, Yamato, and Big R Shimizu. Big R Shimizu was the man left in the cage. That means that Red was forced to bounce someone from the group. The others had the option to bounce someone from the group. KZ captured the first flag. Uh, he, uh, of the natural vibes, uh, he says that the group has a strong bond and he chose to not uh, kick anyone out as was his right for capturing a flag. So uh, natural vibes will stay intact. Shun Skywalker was the next guy to capture a flag. He said he was going to use his option and he removed himself from Dojo Mochizuki and this is important, and we're going to talk about this. And he says he's going to go out and try to make his own path. He doesn't want to be under the tutelage of Mochizuki, even though he respects him. And they would also uh, be each other's first opponent in King of Gate in a Korkin show that happened already that I didn't see yet. So he was going to show Mochizuki, he said, in the first match of the King of Gate, that he can be his own man. He thanked him for everything, but says he has to go out on his own. That's important. We'll get back to that. 
uh, Yamato was next. Um, he said that uh, his unit would be staying together. He wasn't going to kick anyone out. And uh, they're waiting for BB Hulk to return. Dark Hulk did return during the match, which was a surprise to a lot of people. And, yeah, He's like me. He's back on the bounce. Yeah, oh, he's, you know. he's on his winter weight. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, there's BB. <laughs> okay. Yamato also said that Flamita would be coming back uh, next month as well. Speaking of so, packing on the pounds, Flamita. <laughs> That's, yeah. So yeah, so Tribe Vanguard, which uh, is very long in the tooth and a unit that I cannot stand, uh, they are staying together. Next up was Maximum with Doi. Okay, and uh, he said that. Uh, let's see what he did. He uh, he I said that everybody helped out good enough, so no one's going to do anything. So, which is rare from Doy. I thought Doy would fuck yeah. somebody up, but <laughs> yeah. So basically, that was it. Doy said everyone helped them yeah. escape, so uh, they're going to leave Maximum intact. So Maximum stays intact, which left us with the loser of the match, which was Big R Shimizu. Now, as the loser, he's required to kick someone out. The others had the option, so. Um, he asked Ben K to bring him a chair. We all saw where this was going. A blind man could see where this was going. And then uh, Ata, who is sort of, he's the de facto leader, but Pac is really the leader. It's a whole thing. You kind of have to see it to understand it. Anyway, they they uh, they kicked out Ben K. They attacked him with the chair. Everyone saw this coming for months, especially after what happened in the tag match earlier. So uh, he ate a lariat. Then Ata, uh, you know, hit. Uh, ben K with the chair. So, uh, and then Shimizu ran him down verbally. And, um, and that was that he said, uh, you know, basically, uh, Ben K you stink. Uh, and with your abilities, you probably won't be able to latch on with another unit. So, uh, that'll be the end of you. And, uh, red took some pictures and then, uh, and then took off. So Ben K struggles to his feet, kicks up the microphone and then started to leave because the gimmick is that he never talks on the mic because he's not too so strong on the mic and it's one of his weaknesses. It's something that the other red members had picked on him for, but that was a swerve. He then went and picked up the mic and cut a short fiery promo and said he was coming for red. He was coming for big R and he was coming for Ata. And then uh, my name is Ben K and he left to a thunderous ovation. So rich with all that said, the clear focus here was to begin the big baby face pushes for Ben K and Shun Skywalker. That was clearly the intent of all of this. Right. So those, to me, are the right guys. I don't think you're going to disagree, so I don't think we need to talk about that. So I will ask you this. Did it come across that way to you, and do you think they did a good job sort of setting Shun Skywalker and Ben K to sail coming off of this match as the two future stars of the company? I think they did. And, and and when you watch the cage match, I mean, Shun wasn't the first guy to get a flag. KZ was the first guy to get a flag. But Shun felt like he was, was in there a little bit longer so that he could prove that he was like on equal footing with your Yamatos and your Doys and whatnot because he was going neck and neck with them. He was doing everything. Like, I, I really thought that Shun Skywalker w- was a super featured in that in that match. And, and yeah, like you said, he grabs that flag and then he, you know, takes himself out of the dojo to kind of say, you know, I, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to go do, you know, chart my own path. And I think that was, it was met with an interesting reaction as well. And I think that that was that, you know, the whole goal was for him to sort of emerge now where he was. And I think they've done a good job kind of rebuilding him in the last year or so. So I, I'm all for that. I think that's a thumbs up. And then, yeah, the the, the big Ben K thing. I mean, just something as subtle. And again, that's where Dragon Gate gets storytelling so great is that just the subtlety of being a guy that gets made fun of for not cutting promos and then saying, you know what? No, I'm going to cut this promo. And even if it's only five seconds or 10 seconds, or it's really quick or whatever, just doing it. 
the crowd went nuts for it because they said, yes, you're finally talking. You're finally emerging. You're leaving your cocoon. You're ready to now kind of get to that next level. So I'm pumped for both these guys. I think it was exactly what they were going for. And, and, and I think they nailed it with both guys. Particularly, I think Ben K more than even Shun. Shun definitely, but Ben K, I think that, I mean, he was, when that show closed, the, the image was Ben K getting cheered by the crowd. So so that's cool to see too, because I've always loved Ben K and I think he's he's a huge prospect too. So Yeah, it was Ben K uh over the last few months getting tired of Ata's shit and and them slowly building that story. And then it culminated with him delivering the spear in the tag match. And then uh finally picking up that mic and having the guts to to cut the promo yeah. and and the crowd getting behind him. And we earmarked we earmarked him as the next big star when he when he was uh when he was still, you know, uh a trainee. I mean, you just saw that this guy was different and it was a matter of whether it would all come together. And now it, it, it the company believes that it has, and they're going to get behind him. And Shun Skywalker too. He's been a rising star for the last year or so. We've talked about him on this show before. And I thought it was very symbolic that he said, I don't need Masaki Mochizuki anymore. And rich, I am fired up to see that, uh, you know, opening night match between Shun Skywalker and Mochizuki from King of Gate, which just started last night in Cork and Hall. I cannot wait to watch it. So from that perspective, this match, mission accomplished. Because the two people that I'm most excited to watch in King of Gate are Ben K and Shun Skywalker. And that's, that's really the intent coming out of this match. That's how they want you to feel going into King of Gate. Yeah, so. they, I think they did a fantastic job with it. And, and and we kind of unfortunately had to rush through a little bit of this review, but uh, open the voice gate this week. Uh, Mike Spears and, and Case Lowe did an awesome job. Case Lowe has the review up on our website uh, as well at VoicesOfWrestling.com. But on, the, on this very podcast network, open the voice gate. If you want like a two-hour review uh, of Dead or Alive and a little bit of a, a King of Gate preview, they did that. Unfortunately, we're, we're running a little low on time, so we can't do it. But uh, I'm I'm planning on watching through King of Gate. We'll see what happens. I mean, there, there's some good stuff. Maybe not every single match, but at least the big-time matches I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to watch because, yeah, I was I was inspired by this uh, Dead or Alive show. And, and, and Case, if you read this review, uh, which I think is a, an awesome review, more so than like even the match review, he digs into just how – how this year has felt so much different for Dragon Gate, and it feels like everything's just kind of clicking, and it feels like they kind of have their mojo back after like you know a year and a half of really kind of floating in obscurity. But but now you know you have your earmark next stars, you have like clear hierarchies, you have some unit shuffles, like everything's just kind of coming together right now for Dragon Gate. So it's a great time to kind of watch it and follow it. So I'm, I'm excited to, to follow through the summer. Yeah, the three wrestlers who really made the biggest impression here on this show, uh, outside of Pac, of course. Were Shun Skywalker, Ben K, and UT, yeah. and that's exactly the trajectory you need. And um, so, so this is good. This they're heading into the King of Gate with some momentum, and the older guy, the older stars, really took a backseat in that Dead or Alive match. You know, Doi, he didn't kick anybody out. Yamato, he didn't kick anybody out. Uh, they were kind of low key and out of the way, and they really put the focus on where the focus needed to be. So, um, to me, look, I didn't think Dead or Alive was a great show. I really enjoyed those two singles matches, and the cage match always is wacky fun and is what it is. It was a good show. I can't call it a great show, but it was a good show, and I didn't feel like I wasted my time uh, watching any of the matches, honestly. Um, you know, even though I didn't love the uh, the Triangle Gate match, everything else for me on the show uh, landed. Yeah, definitely thumbs up show for me, too. 
All right, that is it. We are out of time. Anyway, VoicesOfWrestling.com, Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling to subscribe to our Patreon and get some additional bonus content. As I mentioned, VoicesOfWrestling.com, great stuff on there, great reviews, great previews of everything coming up. Uh, check out Andrew Rich's Best of the Super Juniors preview. As I mentioned, Case Lowe's uh, Dragon Gate that are live review, really good stuff there on uh, plenty of other good stuff going on. Our Liger Beat, uh, our, our celebration of Jushin Thunder Liger's career. We just rolled that out uh, beginning this week as well. So every week we'll have a new uh, review and, and, and column about Jushin Thunder Liger so that'd be pretty cool up until january 4th uh so excited about that and then of course the voice wrestling podcast network a lot of really good stuff on there as well great podcast to listen to many different things if anything is covered in pro wrestling we try to cover it on there uh so plenty of different shows for you to subscribe to and listen to uh and that's it voice wrestling.com slash forums i should mention as well if you want to join the discussion on there but uh that's it for us we're out of time so for joe lands i'm rich Craig, and we'll see you next time on the voice wrestling flagship podcast take care